Perfect. Okay, right, so uh, Dr. Vitali, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Uh, sure, no problem. A couple of things I, I wanted to say just straight off the bat was uh, I know we're dealing, I know we're dealing with a, a time difference, so you were so accommodating to to do this this morning. And the second thing was just how much of an honour it is to to have you on the podcast. I'm I'm really so chuffed that you agreed to come on. Sure. Yep. No so, problem. It's my pleasure. And, you know, I just uh, uh, look at it. I, first of all, I enjoy doing these things. I, I get a tremendous amount of satisfaction out of them. And uh, I, I also view it as my uh, responsibility. So okay. uh, I'm very happy to do it. And I'm, and I'm uh, honored to be on your, uh, your show. So uh, with that being said, I'm here to try to uh, give whatever information I can with you and your audience. Yep, yep. not a problem. Thank you, thank you. Uh, okay, there's there's so much there's so much to cover. Uh, yeah. The first thing I would like to do is is just before we actually get on to talking about this wonderful art that we do, uh, if we can just spend a few moments talking about yourself, and if you can give give us a little introduction to how you started in in, in taekwondo and just your own experiences in the in the martial arts, that would be brilliant. Sure. So, so back in the 1970s, uh, the Eastern fighting arts started coming to the West really in the, uh, very slowly in the 60s. And uh, towards the late 60s, they started catching on and uh, they really accelerated in the early 70s. And that's when I noticed it. Uh, growing up in America, and as I'm sure all around the world, uh, young boys learned to uh, do some fighting or boxing with their father. Uh, yeah. And, you know, uh, I remember my father saying, keep your dukes up, you know, and, you know, he would show me just uh, hitting his hand, open hands and whatnot. And then he would try to hit at me and I'd have to duck and whatnot. And uh, uh, I had gotten uh, involved in some organized boxing on a very crude level on my local block association when I was a kid. And then in high school, wrestling was very popular. And I didn't, I didn't join the team, but as part of the gymnasium of physical education, wrestling was one of the, uh, the uh, uh, topic in sports that we would cover. Yep. So I very much enjoyed that. And then my older brother was doing some Korean karate, what they called Tang Sudo in those days. Mm -hmm. And he would show me a couple of the basic, you know, punching things and, uh, you know, the basic front kick, I guess anybody can do. And, and, and my father would say, don't kick, you know, when you fight, you couldn't kick because that was fighting like a girl. So <laughs> it was kind of like a, uh, a dichotomy there. And uh, the two, the, the, the boxing from the West and the, uh, 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 the martial arts, traditional Eastern martial arts from, from, from the East uh, were, were, you know, coming into a mix. So uh, with that as the backdrop, all of a sudden, it was a series of movies, the Billy Jack movies. It started with Born Loser and Billy Jack, The Trial of Billy Jack, and then Billy Jack Goes to Washington, which was actually hysterical. And when I watch these movies today, I can't believe they impacted me so much. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I was so impressionable, and it was a you know very different time. The, the war in Vietnam was raging. There was a lot of uh, discontent in the United States, and... Uh, uh, the movies had a profound impact on me and I was coming home on the subway uh, from high school one day to uh, our subway would be like your, your underground yeah, and yeah. 
uh, one of my best friends who I went from grammar school to high school together with Eduardo Rodriguez, he said to me, what did I do this week? And I said, oh, I saw this really great movie, Billy Jack. I wish I could do what he did. And he goes, why don't you train? And I said, I wouldn't know the first place to start. So he said, uh, why don't you go where I go? And it was two blocks from my house. And I had, I had stopped up there uh, once or twice, you know, to, to, to take a peek in and watch what was going on. And I seen some amazing feats there. Like <laughs> I had no idea a person could run, jump into the air and turn their hips like parallel to the floor and hit a heavy bag with two feet, like yep, a 20 yep. foot flying sidekick yep, yep. and hit with those two feet simultaneously and rock that bag that the, the building seemed to shake. I didn't think it was possible. It just like I didn't think there was a Superman, even though I used to see him fly out the windows and stuff. I said, there's gotta be some kind of gimmick with this. And of course there wasn't, there was no cameras. It was not a Hollywood set. He was just a guy, his name was Ruben Lopez, just running down, taking off, flying into the air. There was no, there was no strings or cables that were t doing it. And I said, wow, that was really impressive. So Eduardo got me to join that day and uh, I, uh, come up to the school and join. And when I joined, the teacher told him to bring me in the back to put my uh, uniform on my dobok. So when we were taken out from the package and he was taken out of his bag, I saw his black belt and the, the top with the black trim on it. Yeah, I yeah. said, wow, you're a black belt. He goes, yeah, what do you think? And, you know, he had giant knuckles on his right fist. Yeah. And we used to say, Ed, how come you have such big knuckles? And he used to say, I'm nervous. And when I'm nervous, I chew on my knuckles. That's how we had the cover story. Because in those days, nobody said they would going for martial arts. They would get teased and maybe challenged and whatnot. Okay. So like I said, it was new to the West and it had this mystique. So we believed him because he had a very, very bad stuttering problem. You know, he stammered a lot. And when we were in grammar school, you know, kids are vicious. We'd sit in the class and, you know, you would be go first, read the first paragraph, then me and everybody would wait to Eduardo went because it was just so difficult for him. So we, you know, it, it just made sense and we believed it. But of course, the 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 enlarged knuckles was from the, the constant conditioning. Yep, so yep. when I joined, uh, I never looked back. I was 16 years old in high school. It was back in the early 70s. And uh uh, I connected with my teacher, who was, who was a, 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 a seventh-degree master with the ITF, Kim Kwang Sung. He was, uh, his certificate number was K745, so that means he was the 45th person, because there were no other masters at that time. They were all Koreans. So he was the, the 45th person in the world to, to earn seventh degree, which was, which was master. And uh, I had no idea about General Choi and nothing. I just knew my teacher was like a god because of how physically talented he was. And he was, uh, uh, me and him formed a very close bond. And at that time, uh, relationship with my father was very difficult because I was your typical teenager coming yeah. into their own, strutting my stuff, wanting my independence. And, you know, uh, mom and dads don't know anything at that age, you know. <laughs> Later on, you start to realize, wow, Look how smart my mother and father got. No, they didn't get smarter. You just realized they were right all along. So this was I was going through. And he really became, he was not just a coach. He wasn't a, uh, an instructor. He was a teacher and he taught me about life. Uh, he became a, uh, like a second father figure to me. We became very close. He saw in me uh, something special. He saw in me a talent 
a, a love for learning and uh, a desire and ability to communicate that to others. So, you know, I was never blessed with any physical talent, none whatsoever. And for somebody that's been involved in a, such a physical activity for decades, we're talking almost 50 years. Yeah, yes. Uh, how do you survive in a physical activity like that if you are not superior with your f- physical skills? Because I bet uh, almost everybody you interview, they are these uh, uh, notable figures, but for the most part, almost every single one of them has really great God-given natural physical talent and that was not my case it's still not my case when i teach i have to i'll have to do like general Choi did i'd have to bring up people to demonstrate because if i demonstrated people would quit first of all and they really wouldn't learn anything so you know i would i'm a more of a hands-on person explaining getting them to think how something works and whatnot so he saw this and uh, uh because of our bond and because of what he saw in me uh, he was able to develop that. And uh, uh, when I started traveling, it was mostly around uh, bringing, uh, I mean, I competed as a color belt, but I, I was never good enough to win. And I figured when I got my black belt, there's no way I'm competing because I would not get hurt. I get killed. <laughs> I would get demolished. So, you know, it's easy to compete against other yellow belts, green belts and blue belts, but even red belt level, I could tell this was getting serious. So I, I wanted nothing to do with, with the sparring as a, uh, on the black belt level. So, uh, everything was very local. And, uh, as we were, were very good at competing in the tournaments, uh, my teacher would identify tournaments in a, in a larger and larger radius, but there were all tournaments run by Koreans, his friends, he wanted to support them. And we never went to open tournaments. It was very, very, uh, it was a very, very closed type of thing. And uh, so it was just really on a local and, and a little bit uh, of a regional level. And then at some point, I'd, I'd, uh, my teacher had to leave the ITF because of the whole communist stigma. Yep, and yep. he received so much pressure from the KCIA. His brother back home in Korea had a government job and would call him almost every week and say, brother, brother, who's this guy, Mr. Choi? You have to leave him. I'm going to lose my job. So once, especially once General Choi went to North Korea in 1981, it really became very difficult for any Korean living abroad because, you know, they had to have their passports renewed. They wouldn't be allowed to go home and visit their family. Their family back home would suffer. What people have to understand, uh, uh, South Korea in those days is not the thriving, rich democracy. It's a vibrant democracy today. It was under the control of a series of very brutal dictators. Three military generals ran Korea from 1961 when it was a coup until the late 1990s when they started transitioning. And the first democratically elected civilian leader of South Korea didn't happen until the the early 90s. I don't know if it was 92 or 93. So you're talking a very difficult period of time. And in South Korea, remember, South Korea is is physically adjoined to what we call North Korea. And they were under constant threat of, a, of another outbreak of, of an all-out civil war. Yeah. And actually, the civil war that ended in 1953 never technically ended because there was never any peace treaty. They just signed a ceasefire agreement, an, an armistice. We're not going to fight anymore. And it's never been resolved. And there have been different points in a long history where uh, traumatic things would happen in South Korea. And they were 
they would gear up because, oh, the North's going to take uh, advantage of this and the communists are going to come down. So this was a turbulent time. And, uh, and, and when that was occurring, my teacher finally had to break his ties, several of those ties with, with General Che and the ITF. So other things were happening in my, in my uh, Taekwondo life where I was meeting other people in other schools that weren't, that weren't, uh, they weren't ITF, they weren't WTF, they were independent, they were uh, American students with an American instructor. You know, everything I was was very Korean centered because my teacher's whole network was the fellow pioneers and Koreans who emigrated from the United States. And this is one of the ways they supported each other. You know, it's like buying in-house, you know, let's support each other. So when I started uh, branching out, I, I, I met a, a, a couple of people that were looking to an attached to a federation. So I, I told them about the ITF and I told them we couldn't be part of it because my teacher had to leave because of politics. But yeah. since they were American, it was no problem. So in my attempt to help make a connection with them, that's when I made the connection directly to the ITF. And eventually that would cause me a lot of problems with my teacher. We had a big falling out. It took 19 years to reconcile, but, but thank God we, we did reconcile. And uh, uh, you know I'm proud and, and uh, thrilled that I have that presence again in my life. And it's funny because nowadays, he's so proud of me because of all that I've accomplished, yeah. you know, because obviously that uh, reflects highly on upon him, but truly, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be doing this interview today because he never gave up on me. He nurtured, he saw, he discovered, he saw something in me and he nurtured that and developed it and allowed me to do all the things that I did. And I remember we'd go out to dinner and he'd tell the other black belts, uh, they used to tease me and call me Chicken George because Chicken George was from that uh, series on on uh, slavery in America, Roots. And uh, it was one of the nicknames for the character there. And he said, no, no, no more Chicken George. Now Professor George, because he, he used to tell me Hillary Clinton was a secretary of state for the United States at the time. You have to go Clinton. You have Mrs. Clinton. You, you have to bring my country together, you know? So, you know, uh, Koreans really would love peace on their peninsula. So really uh, everything that I've accomplished is all because of him. Uh, everything I accomplished in life is all because of my parents, my academic education and uh, the, the Taekwondo training I had and my, and my religious instruction. You know, they say a person, there's a, everybody has a chair that they sit on and, and chairs have four legs and the four legs of my chair is of course my family. I was blessed to be born into a, a great family by far, not a perfect family, but, but a great family uh, uh, to be raised in the, the Catholic faith uh, as a Christian and to have the idea there's somebody above you watching you that demands moral behavior was, was very good for me growing up. And, uh, my academic education, you know, I have six college degrees, including the PhD. I love learning. I love amassing knowledge and, and it gives me a great satisfaction, uh, to share that knowledge. And, and then of course there's the Taekwondo because the Taekwondo training supplemented the three things, yeah. the three other legs. Yeah. my family or my religion, my academic education. So there's no question that the discipline uh, that I was exposed to and uh, the, the second fatherly figure in, as my instructor, and then all the great instructors that I've met 
over the years, starting with, with Grandmaster Seraph in the United States, General Choi himself, uh, the late Master Park Jung Tae. I mean, there are so many people. I've met them all. I, I, I become uh, so close to Colonel Nam Tae Hee. Uh, he was like my Taekwondo grandfather. Uh, and, and when I knew him and got close to him, it was when he was much older in life and it slowed down. So I would do things to help him personally, like, you know, help him, uh, uh, bring him into the restroom. Uh, I, he'd stay in my hotel when, when, before his room was ready. I would wheel him in the wheelchair, you know, opening, closing doors, helping him out, you know. Uh, so we, 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 we grew very close because he saw how well uh, I thought of him and how, uh, respectful I was and and how I looked out for him mm -hmm. and uh, it you know uh, my career my career in the martial arts I wouldn't trade for anything so that's how it got me here and because of that journey I was able to meet so many people and to gleam information from them yeah. so as I say uh, over and over again it's like a farmer a farmer takes the seeds uh, gets the ground ready, plants the seeds, tends to the crops, make sure they're watered, all these kind of things. And then finally the harvest comes, they harvest the crops. And can you imagine if a farmer had all these crops and locked them in a barn yeah. and let them rot? That to me is not only a sin, but you know, it would be a crime. So I've had this information shared with me. I don't want to lock it in a barn. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm very willing to share it. I try always to remember to, to credit people because remember, I dug for this information, but I didn't create it. Yeah. These people actually created these scenarios in time and they were actually there viewing it, recording it and documenting it and, and witnessing it. And I'm just taking their, their, their witness statements, so, so to speak. So it wasn't that I did anything. I was just blessed to be in a position to get that knowledge. But so, you know, uh, uh, that's my background. That's how I came into the martial arts. And I mentioned the six college degrees uh, with a master's degree and a PhD. Those are research degrees, you know, uh, we have an associate's degree, a two-year degree, and a bachelor's degree, four-year degree. So I have two of those each, uh, uh, one being in history, one being in liberal studies. And, uh, but, but the graduate degrees in graduate school, uh, master's and PhD, they're research degrees. So I've, I'm, a, I'm a trained researcher from an academic perspective. And then my career was with the police department. I started off as a state trooper. I got promoted. I was an investigator. Then I got promoted to a senior investigator. The senior investigator is the one that runs the detective units. Okay. Like we're in charge of whatever we're investigating, whether it be a homicide, uh, whether it's somebody's background. So I've I've been fortunate enough to be extensively trained in two areas: criminal investigations, where interviews and interrogations are vitally crucial and academic research. And I've combined the two of them. Uh, one thing that I critique, I've, I've been, in my dealings on social media, I've been more forthright and upfront and sometimes purposely in your face to be provocative that you simply can't speak to a high ranking senior in the martial arts. You simply cannot speak to them in an interview if they are here and you are here. Yeah. In order to do an interview, you have to be the same uh, vantage point. Yeah. Plus, you have to be very knowledgeable. So when somebody misleads you or makes a mistake or embellishes, leaves something out, you can push back 
to yeah. get them. And I find that too many uh, taekw- uh, martial arts students interview these iconic legends and they just ask them questions and then they take it as gospel truth. Now, I'm not saying anybody's lying, but our ability to recall is limited at best. You know this from a police standpoint. Uh, witnesses, eyewitness accounts are terribly unreliable mm-hmm. because they're just not, they're just, uh, they're just not as good as physical evidence. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I do an interview with the pioneer, I come with a treasure chest. I mean, a giant suitcase of factual data. Yep. And I've had, I've had pioneers call me up and ask me for help. When they wanted to be interviewed by other people, they would call me up and ask me to come over to help them because they didn't want to get anything wrong because it's going to be in print and they don't want to mislead. So I, I've been uh, cautioning people. You, you can be a student and then be admiring and listening to stories, yep, yep. stories that people tell. But please do not equate that that these stories are exactly what happened the way they happen and the ones involved happening. I've noticed that uh, there are many that like to embellish. We all have that in us. Uh, there are, there are others that have animosities towards other people. So they want to downplay them. We see this in the history of Taekwondo. General Trey was the person who started the whole Taekwondo movement and named the art. And he's written out of history for, for, for decades, not only written out of history, but he was uh, blacklisted and subjected to terrible, vile rumors and, and uh, just scandalous lies made up about him. So we know this takes place. So I urge anybody that's, that has an opportunity and, and the honor to meet somebody, of course you respect them. But if you haven't done your homework first, you won't know how to push back. And there, there is just, Taekwondo history is so confusing and so controversial to begin with because it grew up in a very turbulent time in Korea. So you cannot expect to understand the history of Taekwondo unless you understand the context, the context of how this history occurred. You know, the political times that it, that it uh, developed in. And that's key. So you know, when I do my interviews, I come armed with things. There was another legendary Taekwondo figure that moved to the background when he left the ITF, because he left the ITF in the early 70s, had a fallout with, with General Che, as many did. And he was, now you're in the UK, the father of Taekwondo in the UK is Grandmaster Riki Ha. This was one of Grandmaster Ri's uh, primary teachers, uh, Lee Byung Moo and Kim Bak Man. Uh, people know about Kim Bak Man, but very few people know about Lee Byung Ryu. Lee Byung Ryu I knew personally because he was very good friends with my teacher. We would go to his tournament to support him, right? And uh, uh, people would call him the quiet man of Taekwondo. And I had no idea when I knew him, he was this iconic, legendary figure that was very pivotal in the in the early days. Remember, he is one of Grandma Ri's two instructors. Yeah. So everybody in the world looks at Grandma Ri as this iconic figure, which he is. Mm-hmm. But I know intimately know his two instructors. Yep. And when I talked to Grandmaster Lee byung Moo at uh, one of his students had an opening ceremony at the Dojang, they, the new school they did. And afterwards there was a meal and I sat down and you know I was introduced, so I was an honored guest, but I was nowhere near as honorable as <laughs> Grandmaster Lee. Yep. And we just happened to, not happened, I 
sat next to him and we're eating and he started talking to me and we talked for a very long time. And um, afterwards, his son came up to me and he said, what did you say to my father? And I was taken aback because I'm very, very respectful. And I know I didn't say anything inappropriately. And I said to myself, oh my God, what did I do? Because it, it was not on purpose. And I'm so, I'm so sorry. And before I could say, what did I do? He said, I never heard my father speak of those things in years. Wow. Then he said, and never outside the family. <laughs> yep. What did you do? And I said, geez, I don't know. I said, I just showed him I was interested. I let him know in what I was saying that I knew about the history of Taekwondo and was eager to learn more. And he just opened up like a floodgate yeah. and was telling me things that shocked his son because he never spoke to them outside the family. Yeah. So, and, and some of the things he said uh, with all due respect to him, uh, he didn't say not to say this to anybody, but it was a lot of it had to do with how he had the falling out with General Che. And to this day, I've never commented on that publicly he never asked me to but that's not a personal thing between two people and how they had a falling out is for those people to share it's not you know unless you're asked to share it so you know and, and I've always tried to credit people and and you know if somebody says this is off the record you have to respect that yeah. so that's how I got to where I was and uh I can't imagine looking back of what I could have done differently or, or even if I want to do anything differently, because even the mistakes and shortfalls I've, I've made have, I think, contributed to um, uh, making me a little bit more adept at doing, you know, because I like to learn from my mistakes. I like to learn from the mistakes of others. So, you know, uh, I'm not sure I would remove mistakes because mistakes are uh, great learning tools. And I'm all about learning. So that's my background. You know, I, I've tried to uh, do the police and academic combination. Uh, so you can get information because information is key. And with that, I'm just ready to go and address anything, you know, that I can. <laughs> I think I think it's fair to say that the the history of Taekwondo is, is linked directly to the modern day history of, of Korea and its politics. Now, mm -hmm. the first thing I'm going to say uh, might have a little, might be a little bit naughty, a wee bit of satire mm -hmm. attached to it. And I'm hoping that you can back and tell me straight away that I'm wrong. So okay. first thing, Dr. Vitali, I'm going to say to you is that Taekwondo is thousands of years old. Well, uh, I'm going to try not to laugh, but it, it's, <laughs> It's not possible. Uh, it's ludicrous. It's 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 ludicrous. And for anybody to think that they've just fell for the myth, been fabricated by on purpose, fabricated yeah. on purpose by people in Korea that have an agenda. And the agenda is, quite frankly, national pride. I'm very proud of my country, but I understand my country was formed of the essence of what the UK is today. Like people don't realize the American uh, colonies were British colonies yeah, and the colonists were British subjects. They were not American citizens or British subjects. And as British subjects, they had the rights of Englishmen that date back to the Magna Carta. So see, that's the roots of America. 
Yes, America is a melting pot where so many other uh, people from around the world have come. I'm sure every country in the world is representing the United States. I am sure. But the foundation of America is really based upon the rights of Englishmen. So uh, uh, King George, (laughs) who I'm not named after, I mean, he, he was our king. Uh, no different from the the king, you know, the king of the rest of the the uh, British Empire at the time. So yes, so Koreans are very proud, and uh, you have to understand that they were subjugated, they were uh, controlled, and they were they were subjugated in such a way that the Japanese occupiers remember the Japanese did not sail across the East Sea not the Sea of Japan, the East Sea, and move into Korea and take it over uh, like the European colonizers or settlers did in in the Americas. Mm -hmm. Uh, Korea was a thriving country. There were native indigenous people on this continent that were thriving. And uh, when when, uh, uh, Japanese came, they took over the Korean government as an entity and controlled it. But they, tr- they, they uh, uh, not only subjugated them, they turned the Koreans into second-class Japanese citizens with really no citizenship benefits. Yeah. So it, they suffered brutally for the whole first half of the 20th century. And then they get freed from this domination when Japan uh, unconditionally surrendered ending World War II. And then the foreign powers, namely the UK, United States, and Soviet Union, divided Korea. And then it was the United States and Soviet Union that couldn't come to any kind of uh, agreement to help resettle like they did in Europe. And so Korea remains divided today. And, and as a result of that, there was a devastating Korean civil war. So all of this is where the Taekwondo development takes place in. So where did Koreans learn martial arts? Same place most people in the world did from the Japanese, the, the, the American GIs, the British soldiers, the Australians, you know, they were in Japan learning the, the karate and bringing it home. I mean, that's, that's, we have to understand that's where modern martial arts began. Uh, prior to that, it was judo. And why? Judo was a sport. Our president, Teddy Roosevelt, was a judo man. Yeah. And uh, uh, judo was was uh, gaining popularity around the world. And then karate followed suit. And both those power. And then someone can say, well, it was really the Chinese influence that went to Okinawa. That's all craziness. Uh that's really uh, just confuses the point. What the Koreans did, seven of them learned karate from Japanese sources. Six of those seven learned in Japan. Another learned from a, from a, a karate book, Japanese karate book. So, so they started teaching and South Korea needed to perpetrate a myth. They need to make up a lie to cover the connection to Japan, why they hated the Japanese. Yeah, of course. So they were doing what? They were doing karate. It was called Korean karate. So the myth that is 2000 years old is not worth addressing because it's a lie. Now, there's what I like to do is say, yes, Korea as an indigenous people on a peninsula, remember peninsula, 
defined as such because three sides are surrounded by water. And then that last side is mountainous region and river. So it is actually which helped Korea uh, develop and maintain an intact culture for about 5,000 years, probably the oldest on the planet. So there are very proud people with a very proud and long history that they take great pride in. So there's no question that Koreans had some kind of indigenous fighting arts. They had their military, they had ways to protect themselves, they had ways to defend themselves. There's no question about that. So yes, you can go back in Korean history and find traces of this. That does not mean that that is what Taekwondo was. And there is no, if you want to say that Taekyan, which really is a folk game, a martial folk game, it's really not a martial art. If you want to say Taekyan is what is, Taekwondo is the modern day version of Taekyan, you then have to show that link. Yeah. You have to demonstrate it. Where is the evidence? And there is none. And it's funny, the, the Taekwondo people speak about this evidentiary link without the evidence. Yeah. <laughs> and the Taekyan people say, that's rubbish. We have nothing to do with Taekwondo. <laughs> so you wouldn't know that if you're just a Taekwondo guy reading a book saying Taekwondo's 2000 years old. So yeah, uh, so yes, I, if you go to the Taekwondo Wan today in Muju, and I suggest to people do it, it's like the Disney for Taekwondo, it, it, Disneyland, Disney World. And uh, when, you, when you go in, uh, it's a great facility. Uh, they shaved the side of a mountain out. So it's this great facility with all kinds of houses, a very, very nice museum. And when you first move in the museum, it says that the, the martial arts of Korea's past and it goes through that, which is great. And then it moves to the first wall inside where it shows where Taekwondo began. And guess where Taekwondo began? In the Korean army yep. under, the, under the leadership of General Chae Hong-hee. So yep. they get it right. Yep. And they did it in a way where, yes, see, we're proud Koreans. We have this history. But in the 50s, they started developing Taekwondo. So uh, uh, in, in, in world history, Archduke Ferdinand was assassinated, which okay. set off World War I. And then there was a very famous baseball uh, home run that was hit that uh, won the pennant and, and let his team move into the World Series. That was called the shot that was heard around the world, the baseball shot heard around the world. And of course, the pistol shot that killed the Archduke was the shot heard around I call the Taekwondo lie that Taekwondo is 2,000 years old. Yeah. <laughs> the lie that's been spread around the world. <laughs> it's a great one, lie. One of the things that I think that I was actually wrong in was the the, the belief in the link between the, the, the original five quans and the beginning mm. of Taekwondo. Uh, and, and the more that I've read, the more I'm realising that I actually was inaccurate there. So if we could maybe start there, and, and clarify just how important or unimportant, perhaps, the Kwans were to the beginning of Taekwondo. And then I think we can't not talk uh, about the next part of the history without maybe branching off to General Choi's life and how that mm-hmm. impacted as well. So, sure. Okay, so the, so the five Kwans. There were many Kwans in Korea, but we call the five Kwans the original Kwans, the original five Kwans. Now... They are very important and they are not important at all. 
Well, okay. what are you talking about? That's the they are very, very important because the original Kwans created the uh, people who created Taekwondo right. and the original. So, so that's why the original Kwans are so important. The original Kwans are called the original Kwans because they were open prior to 1950. Remember August 15th, 1945, Japan surrenders unconditionally ending World War II. Korea yeah. is free. Uh, they exist for, th for three years from 45 to 48, being controlled by Soviet Union in the North and United States in the South. In 1948, they uh, established their autonomous republics. Mm -hmm. And uh, two years later, June 25th, 1950, the all-out fighting of the Korean War begins. Now, that doesn't mean the Korean War started then. If you notice, I choose. I try to choose my words very carefully. The all-out fighting. There was a lot of fighting going on between cross-border skirmishes uh, between the two Koreas uh, from at uh, from at least 1948, if not sooner. Yeah. And the South actually perpetrated more forays into the North and caused more damage. Uh, and one of the reasons being, if you look at history again, history. Korean history, nothing to do with Taekwondo history. Yeah. Why was this the case? Well, the North Korean military was being developed like the South Korean military, but the North Korean military was busy. You know what they were doing? They were fighting in China on the side of Mao Zedong against Chiang Kai-shek mm -hmm. in the Chinese Civil War, the Chinese struggle for uh, uh, control. So when uh, Mao Zedong prevailed, to pressure Stalin uh, uh, for permission uh, to attack and reunite his country. And uh, Mao Zedong uh, owed him. So it was like payback time. And that's how it happened. So, so the original Kwans are those five Kwans that opened between 1945 and 1950. 1950 comes, Korea is devastated. 80%, they estimate 80% of the peninsula is destroyed. Yeah. The, the bombing that the, the uh, UN, the US led U United Nations did, primarily the United States, was devastating. Yeah. It was devastating. And uh, the amount of casualties was just terribly high. And they estimate that a war of that duration had more death and destruction and casualties than any other war in the history of mankind. It was yeah. just terrible. So from 1950 to J July 27, 1953, when they had the armistice, Korea is just in an upheaval, yeah. just pure chaos. After 1953, the fighting ends with the signing of the armistice. And now life in Korea slowly starts rebuilding and trying to get back to a bit of normalcy. Yeah. These five Kwans closed during the Korean War. Why? Because everything closed. Yeah, yeah. So when they reopened after 53, and, and as the war, different stages of the war allowed it, of the five Kwans, only two Kwans remained with their original instructors, doing exactly what they did before. The other three Kwans were now led by students, and they changed the names of the Kwans. And in these three Kwans, there was fighting over the leadership, because remember, you're the boss. Right, you're gone. Yeah. Now, 
me and my fellow students are fighting over who's going to be the new boss. Yep. This story, you don't have to have a Korean war. This is what happens all the time. It just, yep. it happens all the time. So yep. this is what happened in Korea. So uh, these Kwans reopened and were reestablished and uh, new students came, new changes, new leaders and uh, fighting over leadership. And uh, it was these Kwans that produced the second generation students, right? The, se the second generation was taught by the first generation. Mm -hmm. The first generation learns from Japanese sources. Okay. Juan Key of Murakwan was the only one that didn't go to Japan and learn. He, he claims he led, learned some Chinese martial arts in Manchuria during the occupation period and then learned karate from a book. And there's evidence that he uh, collaborated with some of the uh, Koreans that were doing their Korean karate in Korean after the off to the side with the Murakwan. And uh, he, he, he also changes his name, but he is... Uh, uh, still doing basically what he was doing, his version of Korean karate. And the others now start producing these students. And uh, Wan Ki was producing his students. And they now form a coalition in 1961, and they create the Korean Taesudo Association. Okay. And the Korean Taesudo Association was coalesced around new, unique revolution. It was a revolution in sports rules uh, because the martial arts at the time was karate and everything was the stop matches. You have a center referee, something happened, he'd say stop. And then he'd point to the corner judges and they'd raise their flag or point to, there was it a point. And if more than a majority, if a majority of the judges saw a clean, no contact was allowed. Yeah. So the Koreans said, screw that, we're using boxing setup. Okay. Judges, with score sheets, mm -hmm. con continuous fighting, right? The round is going, It's a timer is going, two yep. minutes, three minutes, whatever. And uh, you can even do a knockout. Mm -hmm. So there's no more, no contact, it's full contact and knockouts you win by, so they're encouraged. And this is what, this is, what uh, is called Taesudo. Mm -hmm. And that's what those guys that it were in the Kwans were doing. So the Kwans are very important historically because they produce the leaders that would eventually make Olympic Taekwondo. It's a very, very key point. But the Kwan founders themselves, except for one, was, who was, who was no binjik from the uh, Songun Kwan, he was tangentially involved in Taekwondo, both with General Che, martial art Taekwondo, and Taesudo or Olympic Taekwondo. Okay. He was he was involved tangentially uh, in a supporting role as as a senior figurehead, uh, not much influence, but he cannot be forgotten because it, it's a pivotal role. His students played a pivotal role, but uh, so to, to say to say the Kwans had anything to do with Taekwondo is not accurate and it and it's not it's not only not accurate it doesn't tell the full story so the story is they were vitally important because they created these students who went on to do great things these students on the military side assisted general che in creating the original taekwondo which was called military taekwondo which was always called taekwondo okay and and uh also were the leaders of the taesudo movement that became olympic taekwondo 
And the other thing that's about very key to remember about the Quans, the Quans help the great lie spread around the world that Taekwondo is 2000 years old. Because the story, um, how would you say, they brought to the forefront Korean martial arts again. No, they didn't. They brought to Korea karate. That's yeah. what they did. Yeah. Karate learned from Japanese sources. That's what they did. But the lie manipulates and uses the Kwans to make this link back to 2000 years ago. Yeah. And it's ridiculous because if you really read the literature that South Korea put out, starting with the Ministry of Education, they put this out, the Kukiwan grabbed it, the WTF grabbed it, the Korean Taekwondo Association grabbed it. And this is what uh, Westerners all around the world would cut. We didn't have cut and paste in those days, right? <laughs> but they would cut and paste this narrative. And it's in all of the books on the Olympic Taekwondo side. Yeah. And what is that? What is that? If you if you go back and read these books, there are several pages on the history of Taekwondo. Let's say there's seven pages. I'm just making up a number. Yeah, yeah, of course. In books about Korean martial arts in the past, it makes no link to Taekwondo today, none whatsoever. Yeah. And then it talks about uh, the occupation and how martial arts are outlawed, which is a lie. Martial arts were never, ever, ever, ever outlawed in Korea. It, it, it's, it, there's blatant, obvious evidence in your face to show that the two of the Kwans opened prior to 1945. So they actually opened during the, during the occupation. Yeah. Judo was taught quite uh, pervasively uh, in, in Korea. Uh, they were trying to develop Koreans to be athletes to fight for under the Japanese flag. Yeah. Uh, boxing was allowed. Wrestling was allowed. Archery was allowed. Koreans were on the best in archery. Archery was allowed. Now, the myth goes martial arts are outlawed because the colonial occupiers did not want to be threatened by a strong Korean people. Dude, are you crazy? A bow and arrow is a lot more than me trying to do a flying sidekick against your head. Come on. It, it, see, when you really not just read it, but examine what's being said, examine and then think about what's being said. It's ludicrous. So seven pages, five pages to the martial arts in the past with no link. Then a general thing about these things being outward. And then one, one paragraph that they call the disorder period. One paragraph about when the occupation ended and the Kwans opened. And then they fast forward to Taekwondo was accepted on the Olympic program, it was in the Asian Games. It, it debuted in the uh, Continental Championships. And then it uh, was in the 88 Olympics as a demonstration sport, in 92 Barcelona as a demonstration sport, and then as a full medal sport in 2000, getting full recognition in 1994. That's what the, so it goes from thousands of years ago to one paragraph where they say period is they're trying to say, oh, things were chaotic because Korea was liberated and there was so much going on with the, and then the Korean civil war comes. The reason they say disorder and they don't limit to one paragraph, there is nothing to write about. Yeah. The only thing you can write about is seven Koreans learned karate from Japanese sources, six of them in Japan. So yeah. they don't want to write about that. They don't want to talk about that. So that's how it goes. So 
Nobody that's listening to this podcast has to take my word. Go to any book, open it up, and you'll see that's the pattern that is out there. And uh, so, so the Quans are very important because the uh, Quan original Quan founders are iconic figures. They they did something great. They brought something to Korea, and they started making it Korean in their own way. And they started owning it. And they they taught their their first generation of students, who now become the second generation that gave us uh, the military Taekwondo that became the ITF because they helped General Che. So that's why the Kwans are important, but uh, it's not because they did anything in Taekwondo. There's, there's a, a, a colleague of mine, uh, a, a good friend and, and my senior, a Grandmaster Earl Weiss, he happens to be a lawyer by trade. So he's, he's a smart guy, highly educated. And he taught me a long time ago uh, over the internet in some of these postings that he would write. He said, it's no problem. If you want to say the Quan founders are the founders of Taekwondo, why stop there? They learned karate from Japanese sources and the karate they learn mostly is Shotokan karate from Funakoshi Sensei. So by that extension, since they're doing pretty much the same thing they learned in, in Japan, isn't the founder of Taekwondo Funakoshi? Yeah. There's no question. There's no question. But what we do today is not Funakoshi's karate. So any Korean would strictly uh, uh, attack that premise yeah. that Funakoshi is the founder of Taekwondo because it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So who's the founder of Taekwondo? Nobody 2,000 years ago that can't remember the name or they can't find the name. It's a guy named General Che Hung-hee because it's clearly, it's clearly established that he's the one who came up with the name. It's clearly established. And then he got the first president of Korea to authorize the name when he wrote in Chinese characters, Taekwondo, by his own hand, and then signed it with Unam, his pen name. So this is all documented. Now, you want to say General Trey is not the founder of Olympic Taekwondo? I agree, totally. Yeah. But he's the founder of the original Taekwondo, the first Korean martial art that applied the name Taekwondo to the system of self-defense it was devising. And exclusively from 1955 until today, the Taesuga guys joined together. They they had the same Tangsudo or Kangsudo name that General Che and his followers used. The same, no difference. The same roots, no difference. Just General Che chose a path of development. Canada, United States, British colonies. Canada chose a different path of development. They still use the queen on their money and they have the, the, uh, uh, the, the governor general that, you know, that whole tradition with the monarchy. Uh, we don't, we severed that. We went down a completely different path. So the, it's the same roots, the same beginning, but different pathways. So if you don't, uh, you don't have to recognize General Che as the founder of Olympic Taekwondo because he's not. Uh, he can even be, he can even be rightfully labeled as a troublemaker because he tried to stop them from getting in the Olympics. Now they portray it terribly. He wasn't trying to stop Taekwondo from getting the Olympics. He wanted his original Taekwondo to get in the Olympics. That's yeah. a huge difference. Yeah. But, but General Che really had very little to do with Olympic Taekwondo. So uh, for, for WTF or Olympic Taekwondo people or Kuki Taekwondo people, 
uh, and maybe even independent people to say General Choi is not the founder of their Taekwondo. I can't argue against that because it, you have to define like I did. I define what the original Kwans are. Opened prior to 1950. The older Kwan is not an original Kwan. It opened in 1954. Just by definition, it's not. Yeah, yeah. So General Trey's not in that. He's in the same, he has the same status, the same background, because he learned Japanese, he learned karate in Japan. So he's on par with them. As far as he's not a student that learned in those original Kwans, he created his own Kwan, yeah, yeah. but he created it later. So he's not an original one. So I, I put the older Kwan in with the other five Kwans and I labeled them the early Kwans. And then there was nine Kwans, those five, Otakwan, and three more. Those three, if you remember before, I said three of the Kwans opened with new leaders and new names. Mm -hmm. Those three that were added into the nine, to, to the six to become nine, yeah, yeah. is what I talked about, the split in leadership. Yeah. One student who was on par and equal to the other student they were considered peers, said, I'm not following you. And they went their own way. So that's how the nine get numbered, yep. officially retired, and formally rolled into the Kukiwan back in 1978. So if you know about the Kwans, you can admire, respect, and honor those people for what they did. But you'll understand what they did, and then you'll be able to honor the second generation students who became these leaders that created Kuki Taekwondo, Olympic Taekwondo, the sport version of it that eventually became WTF Taekwondo. And on the same token, people like Nam Taehee and Han Cha Kyo, who were first, they were students in those first original Kwans under the original Kwan instructors. They went and they helped General Che create the Oda Kwan and to create military taekwondo and to create what became ITF taekwondo. So, and it's not just those two. There are so many others that were instrumental. And I like crediting everybody. Yeah, of course. You hold the door for me, I say thank you. You yeah. give your seat to me, I say thank you. You go get me a cup of tea, I say thank you, right? You know, you have to, you have to credit. So uh, that is my long-winded answer, and I'll and I'll do that. Uh, quite often uh, about the Kwans because they are important and they have no real direct connection, yeah. but it's the because you remember what, what Taekwondo is, is a new martial art. Now, of course it comes from karate roots and people will say, well, it's still, it's still a version of karate. I can't argue about that. Why? That's perception. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I can argue all I want that I have a full head of hair. You're looking at me, the audience is looking at me and they know I'm lying. But I can say I have a mustache because it's true. So yeah. uh, is my mustache uh, in good shape? Does it make me look good? That's all a matter of perception, right? So how much has Taekwondo today become unique on its own? And how much does it still have the Korean flavor to it? And <clears throat> I look at two main types of Taekwondo. The original one, which became ITF the sport or taesudo, which became WTF or Olympic Taekwondo. But there are many other Taekwondos. There are many independent Taekwondos. And <clears throat> some of them are still doing the same Korean karate and they cling to that. They're very, they're very prideful, very proud that they're maintaining these traditions that Grandmaster Lee Wong-guk taught in the Chung Kwan back in Korea. 
There's nothing wrong with that. That's very proud. But they now apply the name Taekwondo to it, even though they're still doing Japanese kata. Yep. But and and I'm not being critical at all. That's it's nothing I'm I'm saying I want to be taken as negative at all. It's not. It's a statement of uh what they're doing, and it's okay that they want to apply the name of taekwondo to that. But obviously, the way they became taekwondo today has nothing to do with Geno Che and has nothing to do with the Taesudo guys. Yeah. <clears throat> so how did they become Taekwondo? I don't know. You got to ask them because, yeah. but the two main is ITF and WTF. So uh, today we, it, it is confusing because you have a lot of entities that refer to themselves as Taekwondo, but it's largely by name only. And that's nothing wrong with that. These were proud Koreans and they wanted to adopt the new Korean name that was offered. Uh, th there's, <clears throat> there's evidence to indicate General Choi put forth the name Taekwondo as an umbrella term. And uh, for all the Kwans to use, he did expect they would follow his system. Yep. Now, his system, to be very specific, his system, I believe in his mind at that time was, can you do Wadang, Chungmu, Uji, yep. Unam, Samil? Because those are the five, first five patterns. Yep. Can you do these? Why? It's named after our independence. It's named after our uh, president. It's named after our great warriors. It's named after our great military generals. <clears throat> and that was a way to reinvigorate Korean pride, Korean nationalism, because remember, they suffered. This cannot be downplayed. The Koreans suffered tremendously under a brutal Japanese occupation. Yep. Thousands upon thousands of women were snatched not turned into prostitutes. Prostitutes get paid yeah. for their service. They were, uh, they were uh, snatched and placed into service as, as sex slaves. Yeah. The Japanese Imperial Armed Force, uh, military forces, basically would just go avail themselves. I don't know if they would give a tip, but there was no, it was, it was here, there for their pleasure and their release. Yep. That is extremely degrading. I don't know if it, I'm not a woman. I don't know if anything that'd be more degrading to a woman. Yep. And I've met two of these women. They call them the Korean grandmas because they're very elderly now. Yep. And their stories are heart-wrenching. These were teenage girls snatched from their families. Yep. And some of them never reunited with their family. Some of them never, ne never lived. And some that were reunited with their families, they were looked upon with disdain because they were they were they were a receptacle to these Japanese yeah. soldiers. It's just so you cannot downplay uh, what what the Empire of Japan and the Imperial Japanese forces did to to Koreans. Yeah. Uh, how many Korean men did they snatch and bring to Japan to work? in their fields and stuff. And then eventually uh, forcefully co co uh, conscripted, forcefully uh, put young Koreans into the military, yeah. you know, uh, to fight. Remember, you, you are you are basically living in, in this controlled situation and your oppressor is now drafting you, forcing you to fight to keep that system going. So, you know, you, you can't, you can't, uh, disregard the suffering and you can't downplay it but but that was the that was the impetus that's the motivation to make uh their own korean martial art and i also want to just add one thing in martial arts are martial arts yeah. 
what you do and I do might be different and it might have a lot of overlap. I am sure you do a front snap kick. You might call it front kick. I call it a front snap kick because in ITF Taekwondo, we're so uh, uh, with terminology and being very methodical and uh, well-documented art, we have all kinds of, of uh, uh, kicking to the front. So we call it front snap kick. And uh, every martial art has front snap kick. Uh, when we were kids, you grab a girl's hair, she kicked you in the shin. So even somebody who doesn't learn any kind of martial art knows front snap kick. You know, and that's my father said, don't kick like a girl, right? So so every martial art has front snap kick. So General Trey puts front snap kick in his third pattern, dosan. Is that a Japanese front snap kick? Or is that a Chinese front snap kick? Or is that a little girl front snap kick? I mean, what a front snap kick is a front snap kick. So it's not, it's a generic martial art move. Yes, General Trey learned these generic martial art moves in Shotokan Karate. And he took these Japanese katas and took movements from them and rearranged them. Sometimes you'll see whole sequences that transfer over from the Shotokan Karate. He's applied different names to them and different applications to them, but the sequences is the same. You'll see it in Wanyo, you'll see it in Poon, you know, you'll you'll see it in, 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 you know, several of them. But, uh, you know, uh, the WTF, what would become the WTF, it was actually the KTA at the time, did the same thing with the Pauge forms, did the same thing with the Teiko Pumse. These are basic rearranged moves. Now they can say, uh, we're still karate. And we say, no, we're not. Look, we have this unique movement, sine wave, and different names and different applications. And they say, and we can say, well, look, your take of Pumse is the same. They call it, I think, down block and then punch. No, no, but we do it in upright stance because we're fighters in in Olympic, you know. Okay, you see, that's just spin. You know, yeah. we're just spinning it to yeah. make it to make it more tasteful. You know, f- the flavoring to make oh, our taste buds can swallow that now. But a front kick is a front kick. I don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> don't waste any time. A front kick is a front kick. So, did we get it from Japan, Okinawa, China? I, I don't know. I mean, so it's it's funny that people look and say, uh, you know, these rearranged moves because I don't know much about karate, but I'm sure Funakoshi. Did the same thing. He took movements. It's yep. Yep. so it's it's silly and it's a very circular type argument. And General Che would say in his writings, arguing over the origin of martial arts is like arguing over where fire developed. It's not like you developed fire in your village, and then you made a fire and started sending smoke signals out with the directions of how to make a fire. Because I look and I say. What's that in the air? Is that a cloud? I don't know what a smoke is because I don't know what fire is. So how can I read the instructions on how to make a, a fire from your smoke signals? So obviously fire um, developed separately in a pot in all places around the world. That same logic that General Trey uses is exactly applicable to the martial arts. Yeah. You, you, you spoke about uh, that forceful constriction, uh, constriction. Conscription, sorry, conscription. Yes. Get the word right. Uh, into the Japanese army. Perhaps that's a good place to pick up general choice. <clears throat> As I say, it's you. You can't separate the the story of Taekwondo from the story of General Choi. Right. Yes. In my humble opinion. Again. <clears throat> of course. 
Of course, I'm, yes. I think Fan corrected uh, mm. obvious knowledge, but if we can pick his story up from there, then I'm sure there'll be lots of other information that will branch off from, from his journey. Sure, okay. So forcefully conscripted. There, there are detractors of General Trey that hate him and they spread such uh, uh, slanderous lies about him. First of all, he did not volunteer for the Japanese army. He was forcefully conscripted. Yeah. Forcefully conscripted means you're drafted, you have no choice. And uh, the, the same people that manufactured his lie have not done their homework. I do my research. I like to be thorough. And before, before I come public with something, I like to test it. And I like to see if it stands up to the test. So I like to ask about it. And uh, so I had to delve into, again, history. Not Taekwondo history, because Taekwondo history is purposely distorted for varied, uh, myriad reasons. And, and the reasons are very varied. Yep. So initially, the Japanese would not... Remember how well the war was going for the Japanese, uh, similar to Europe. Hitler went into places and resistance was uh, so weak. It was like they just marched in. Yeah. In some yeah. places they did just march in. You know, yeah. there was no resistance. And the same thing was happening in the Pacific region. If you look at the map, you'll see that Japan had the whole half a circumference. They were next going to go to Australia and next go to the United States. Yep. And uh, their, their target was the Pacific Coast, the West Coast, California, Washington. Uh, and and they, would, they would literally control the whole um, circle of yep. the Pacific uh, Ocean. Yep. So <clears throat> Japan... Japan was very uh, modernized because they embraced the uh, approach by the Western powers. And so they, they geared up their manufacturing. And uh, that's one of the good things they did in Korea. They built manufacturing. They, they were starting to change it, you know, yeah. to be like their, uh, their annex uh, 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 and move it from this farming, uh, very rural uh non-manufacturing base so so they were very powerful and and they were dominating there so in the beginning they only let people volunteer and uh park chung he we're, we're moving from the the early part of the world war ii to 1961 park chung he was the military general that was the behind the coup and took over and became uh the dictator for 18 and a half years. So he actually joined not one, but two military academies, one in Manchuria and then one, one like an imperial uh, uh, academy. And he graduated from two academies and was a Japanese military officer. So there were people that would join. And <clears throat> remember, there were people like General Che that would go to Japan, the seat of the colonial government, just like the, the colonists in America would send their children to the, uh, England and Great Britain to go to the universities there, right? Because this is this is the way to upward mobility. So yeah. it's very similar. And 
so you see, like when I talk from a historical standpoint, I, I make the analogies to other things in history. Yeah. No different from anywhere else. Yeah, no different from anywhere else. So early on, it was just volunteering. And uh, as the war went on, and then they bombed Pearl Harbor, and the United States geared up, and uh, they uh, mobilized, Japan started making less and less gains and started losing more and more territory. And the war effort was turning. And it was clear from a Japanese perspective, we're going to lose this. Mm -hmm. And what they decided to do, and you can look, they, they have these things, you can read them as I've done. Uh, it went from volunteer only to a program to uh, indoctrinate Koreans yeah. into being Japanese to prepare them to serve in the military. Remember, you don't want to take in, you don't want to take into your armed forces people you are subjugating <clears throat> because now you're, you're training them your own ranks. And this is a very big problem in the American Revolution. The British would co-opt uh, the African enslaved people to fight on the side of the British so they can get their freedom. And the colonies were very leery to have their enslaved people fight on their side because in the middle of a battle, are they going to turn? Yeah. You know, it was, it, it, you know, these are, these are uh, serious type things. And the same thing happened. You know, we, we ended slavery in, uh, in the Civil War uh, after we amended our Constitution, but the same dilemma. Uh, Lincoln, Emancipation Proclamation, get the, the enslaved people to fight for their freedom, right? And the union, the union took in uh, the uh, the uh, uh, African slave that had stayed, stayed and used them to fight. And the South was very, the Confederates were very leery about that. And some they did it, some, some they didn't. But this was what was going on in Japan. So Japan knew, they had this plan, I don't know if it was five years, but they had this plan where they would start with the indoctrination to build up the, the national pride in, in the Koreans to fight for the motherland, the empire of Japan, yep. uh, the emperor of Japan. And while they were doing that, uh, they would uh, increase recruitment efforts for people to volunteer. And so it was a simultaneous thing. And then in there, along this time period, they realized, Japanese were smart, they realized, oh, we will first forcefully conscript people living in Japan yep. going to our universities. Not every student. Uh, it was the humanities and law. Those two categories. What was General Choi studying? He was studying law. Right. So he was in that initial group, and I forget how many thousands were forcefully conscripted. He was in that initial group to be conscripted. So when you read history, You'll see General Choi went in, I don't know if it was 1941. Uh, and again, I'm traveling, so I don't, I, I don't have my, That's okay. thing. it was all off the top of my head. Uh, yeah. But, but he, was, he was in that initial group to be forcefully conscripted. So when people do this research on the surface, they will look and they will see that most sources say mandatory cons conscription began in, let's say, 19... Or oh, maybe it was 1943 General Choi went in. Maybe it began in 1944. And say, see, General Choi wasn't in 1944. He was in 1943. So therefore, he volunteered. No, 
it was a plan. And unless you, and you, you, I don't know if you've heard this before. Most people never heard this before because they're not history buffs and they're not doing the research into history. So yes, General Choi was forcefully conscript, conscripted because he was in that first batch to be forcefully conscripted. That was their test run. And they figured, well, they're living in Japan already. They're studying at the schools here. They are already further along in that indoctrination process. And General Choi, as we know, fervently resisted. We know reading his memoirs, what he said, and, and all throughout his life, what he said. And more importantly, we know when he was forced to uh, go into the Imperial Army, we know what he did. He yep. didn't kill the Koreans. He didn't kill the Allied troops. He was instrumental in plotting to overthrow the local colonial apparatus where he was assigned. And this is documented in both North Korea and South Korea. Uh, it's one of the few things that uh, uh, both Koreas agree on. And uh, both Koreas look at these people as heroes, mm -hmm. whether they fought, like after the division became permanent, whether they settled in the North or settled in the South, they were looked upon heroes because you know why? There were very few Koreans that fought or tried to overthrow yeah. the colonial government. So in South Korea today, uh, researchers are discovering this about General Choi and they admire him greatly for it. And they are researching his anti-Japanese uh, sentiment and what he actually did. And people have to understand, General Choi is buried in a cemetery for martyrs for Koreans who resisted the Japanese occupation. Yep. And he's buried there because South Korea wouldn't let him. Yeah. Oh, he, he made a dying wish. And, yep. and of course, there's indication that Kim Won-young uh, 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 stopped that from happening. But his, his dying wish was to be buried in a military cemetery in South Korea uh, because he was a founding member of the Korean army. He made it up to two-star general. If not for the military coup and his subordinate general park taking over he was slotted for his third star he would have been lieutenant general so uh, his military career was ended he, and he was sent to malaysia as ambassador but so general Trey was conscripted into the japanese army <clears throat> and became involved in this plot to overthrow the local uh, colonial establishment and then the ultimate goal was to head north to the border area with china and russia Soviet Union in those days, uh, and then fight with the resistance. Uh, that never happened because a Korean collaborator uh, told on them and they were imprisoned. And uh, there's some accounts that say that he was sentenced to death. Uh, some was life imprisonment, some was a seven year term. Then there's accounts where um, the sentence was upgraded to death because the defeat was imminent yeah, yeah, and they, yeah. wanted to, they wanted to eliminate all of these voices that could be used against them. And then the uh, surrender came and, and he was freed. Now, when he was freed, what did he do? He left uh, that prison, the Japanese prison in, in, that was physically in North Korea. Remember Korea is one, it was one country at the time, but it was occupied by Japan. So it was a colony of Japan. <clears throat> He got out and he heard, he heard about the growing movement to establish democracy in Seoul and he goes south. And 
he joins the first military academy in January of 1946 and became a founding member of the Korean army, what was to become the Korean army. They called it the constabulatory at the time. And in 1946, it was not allowed by the UN for build up these forces because remember they wanted the country to come together. So the American government got around it by saying the English language school, what they were doing was teaching English to the people that joined this school to become the, the leaders of the constabulatory, which became the Korean army. Yeah. So uh, in that initial class was 110 candidates. General Choi was number 44 out of 110. Yeah. So he was a graduate. He was commissioned as a second lieutenant and he was uh, stationed to Kwangju, which is my teacher's hometown. And uh, he tells the story about how he would teach the karate that he learned in Japan. And I, and I want to back up. Uh, General Trace talks about Taekyan, and it's a fallacy. It's a myth to think that he learned Taekyan, and he combined Taekyan with karate uh, to make Taekwondo. Uh, there is indication he didn't even know what Taekyan was. Uh, but his calligraphy teacher did, in fact, and this is General Trace's own words. In the beginning, they portrayed General Trace as a Taekyan master that combined his expert training in karate, and he makes Taekwondo. Uh, and that also is embellishment. So it is true from General Choi's own words that his teacher, calligraphy teacher, looked at him and said, this skinny little scrawny little pint size, you know, like a really like a, you know, the, 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 the sick puppy of the litter, you know, uh, he said, I got to do something about his physical constitution. He's so frail. He's so weak. So he would show, he would have him do basic exercises. Was these exercises push-ups and sit-ups and you know calisthenics and or was it some kind of martial art thing? Yeah. There's no it's basic exercise because he was so he was so frail, yeah. and uh, he also was timid, and he would tell him stories uh, uh, about these people from Korea's past to bolster his confidence. So that was the extent of what he did with his calligraphy teacher. It, it, it wasn't formally Taekyan. There's even, uh, there's even a story, uh, and, and the, the story is true, whether or not the story is circulating. Uh, and, and it seems to be, there seems to be credible evidence to suggest that it's true. So when, I'm bouncing around a lot because oh, okay. I need to in the narrative. So we, we, we're still in uh, General Trey being conscripted, then getting out and moving to South Korea. But now we're going to advance forward. So in 1954, in the fall, he does a demonstration, a karate demonstration for the Korean president, Sigmund Rhee. <clears throat> in this uh, demonstration, the president is supposed to be uh, impressed. Uh, Nam Tae-hee and Han Cha-kyo uh, only did like a 15-minute routine. So they, they were told, oh, do more. And so it was extended because it was go going well. Uh, supposedly, the president was very impressed. And he said, oh, this is Taekyan. And the story goes that General Che said, Taekyan? What's Taekyan? He didn't even know what it was. And it's quite possible he didn't know what it was. No. Maybe he did. That's not the point. The point is he knew what they were doing is not Taekyan. It was Tang Sudo, Kang Sudo. It was basically karate. And Tang Sudo and Kang Sudo are Korean ways of calling it karate. Tang Sudo is less of a Japanese connection because Kang Sudo translates as karate. Tang Sudo translates as way of China hands. So it's, it's kind of like 
cutting Japan out and going back to China. Yeah. So it's more palatable. So uh, General Shui knew this is not Taqian. So he did know that we can't call it Taqian. So it's a moot point whether he knew it was or not. But here's the, the key point. This is the kicker. He now goes with Nam Tehi to the Chinese dictionaries. And he's looking up Taqian. And guess what? They can't find it. And you look it up, you won't find it. You won't find it in the Japanese dictionaries is a really good indication of that it is wholly indigenous to Korea. Yeah. In other words, there is... So uh, me and you speak English. Well, I speak American. You speak English. <laughs> uh, and I'll have to teach you how to speak proper American. <laughs> but we, we, we both speak English, and I'm sorry for you know, uh, messing it up so much, <laughs> the, the language that English, England gave the world. But we spoke, both speak English and English has a phonetic alphabet. So does Korea. Korea has a phonetic alphabet. Now, if I give you the word, the letter C-A-T, you'll know that's a, you'll know that says cat. You'll sound it out as cat. You won't know what a cat is uh, unless when you were a little boy, they showed you the picture card and, you know, to get you to how you pronounce cat, right? So it's the same thing with Korean. So uh, if I say hot, H-O-T, I spell it out, those three letters, you'll say, oh, hot, yeah. And you'll, you might think it's temperature-wise. No, but it's also spicy food-wise, right? The temperature of the food can be hot, but the spice can be hot. And then, you know, uh, in, in my generation growing up, we, oh, Look at that woman. She's hot looking, right? Or the police are around. You're up to no good. The police are around. Hey, it's hot over here. Nobody's talking about the the uh, temperature. They're talking about the police attention. So the, the word in Korean has no meaning unless you understand what the meaning is. It's just a sound. Mm -hmm. So the way you learn the meaning of Korean words is to refer to the underlying Chinese hanja. Yep. So the Chinese hanja, they're looking in uh, in the dictionaries. They cannot find takyan. It's only in the Korean alphabet. So this is proof that takyan is a wholly indigenous activity to Korea, which is very, very important for Korean national pride yeah, yeah. and their nationalist purposes. So keeping that in mind, they look and they can't find it. Now, research indicates Taekyeon is not in there, but Taekyeon is a derivation of something else that's actually in the Chinese Hanja uh, uh, characters. Mm -hmm. So uh, maybe Taekyeon really isn't completely indigenous, but that's a whole nother topic. It really doesn't matter for Taekwondo. So knowing that General Choi now looks for Taekyeon and it's not there, and we know it's not there because it's not there. Yeah. So now he looks and he's, oh, he needs to get the Korean president to write in calligraphy to authorize the name. Because remember, he's fighting for control of the martial arts. And he has something that nobody else has, direct access to the president. Why? He's a two-star major general in the Korean army. Yeah. And President Reed takes a liking to him. General Cho is a member of the Liberal Party, which Reed, Reed, Sigmund Reed was, and sort of had these connections. <clears throat> so uh, he looks to try to uh, figure a way to get him to write this calligraphy because now he comes back and says, look, the president authorized this. You all use the Taekwondo name. 
So yeah. he said, this is all chess. It's a really strategic chess match that's going on with a lot of muscle. Yeah. You know, it's not just pure strategy, it's muscle. And it's using power and influence, which further pisses off the ones on the civilian side because they don't have access to this and they're being steamrolled. Yeah. So, uh, so he thinks and thinks. And now he comes up and uh, see, so what does Tay mean? It's, so Tay is a foot elevated off the floor, a foot elevated off the floor. Okay. So if you go to the Chinese Hanja, there is a character for foot, but the character for Tay includes that character and it adds something else. Okay. That something else makes it the foot elevated off the floor. So if I ask somebody a foot elevated off the floor, what is that for? Oh, they're jumping. They're going to stamp. They're kicking flying or whatever so general choice it's really a verb it's showing action you understand the distinction yeah. so that's what tay is so people say he came up with this very very rare word and if you ever want to do an experiment with this go to a chinese person that is very very well schooled in the chinese writing yeah. and general trey was why calligraphy you cannot write calligraphy unless you know Chinese characters. And the way you learn Chinese characters is by reading the Chinese classics. Yeah. You'll see General Choi's uh, uh, calligraphy, Confucius, right? Mm -hmm. Great Chinese scholar, philosopher, right? So this is this is the depth of General Choi's knowledge. So uh, if you went to a Chinese person, and I've done I've done that. I went to a I went to a uh, 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 a librarian uh, who's Chinese in the New York system in an area where there's a lot of Chinese people. Yep. And I just showed her the character for Tay. And I said, excuse me, can you tell me what this means? And she would say, it's like a foot on a platform or foot up in the air, an elevated foot. And I, and I went to people who, to the Chinese, so Chinese students go to a, a, a public school in America. And they go to private school, whatever, you know, the full gamut. But when they go to school, they're not learning Chinese. Chinese is not a subject that is prevalent in, in, the, in the school system here. Uh, but Chinese parents of some affluence, they have Chinese schools. They send them to afterwards. They get extra tutoring and they get taught Chinese. Yeah, yeah. And I went to a teacher of Chinese in one of these schools because mm -hmm. my school had my Taekwondo dojang. Uh, had, a, had a lot of Chinese in our neighborhood and they had a Chinese school right around the corner for me. And as a matter of fact, the parents of one of my, uh, of, of two of my students were both uh, Chinese, very well schooled in, in the Chinese language. And uh, they confirmed this as well. So that's what it means. It's like an action word of right. foot elevated. So yep. he, so, so uh, uh, people like Grandmaster J.C. Kim, Kim Jong-chan, they actually say General Trey combined these two characters and created the Tay thing. But if you ask somebody to read the Tay and you don't put it Taekwondo, because they'll say, oh, it's Taekwondo. What's that? Oh, it's, it's karate, it's martial arts, something like that. They'll yeah. say Kung Fu, whatever. Uh, some will know, oh, it's the Korean thing that's in the Olympics. But don't, just do the Tay character and they'll say it's a foot elevated off the floor. So see, <clears throat> General Trey takes this and he says to the president, please write it. And he, he plays to his ego. He says, your hand, your calligraphy pen, your hand is so gifted. 
your calligraphy is very artistic. So don't write it in Korean, because if you write it in Korean, if you notice, <laughs> excuse me, sorry about that. <laughs> if, if you notice, if you like, I can't read Korean or Chinese, but I can notice the difference in the characters. The Chinese characters are very intricate, very complex. And the Korean characters are very simple. The Korean characters actually uh, mimic the shape of the mouth that when you say these sounds, it's, it's a brilliantly uh, uh, devised uh, system. So uh, when you write something in Korean, uh, you don't have the ability to have that artistic uh, yeah. character to it, you know, the artistic slant. Yeah. Uh, so he convinced him to write it in Korean and he provided him with the characters. Now, Taekyeon, we know, doesn't appear in Chinese. Yeah. It only appears in Korean. And Taekyeon phonetically sounds like Taekwon, Taekyeon Taekwon. Yep. And he adds the Do, which was very prevalent in those days. They added the Do. The Do does not mean the way. It, the Do is the Tao, Tao, like Taoism. Mm -hmm. So it's not Do, it's Tao. And the, the Tao or Tao is a, like a, a religious system. And it is the way of moral living. Taoism demands strict adherence to certain moral characters and, be and moralistic behavior. So it's not suffice enough to say hand and foot fighting, the way of hand and foot fighting. Yep. It, is, it is much more is this physical activity that coincides with this moral living to be on the side of justice. Dr. we stopped for a small second there. Uh, just as you were about to give the proper translation, can you just repeat that a wee bit? Sure, of course, yes. Uh, the the uh, uh, Taekwondo does not mean the way of hand and foot fighting. It is much deeper than that because the Do is not Do, it's Tao, and it goes to Taoism. So Taoism is the moral, moral adherence to a strict code of morality. So... Taekwondo is the physical activity to uh, train within to have this better moral living. It's much deeper than just kicking and punching, uh, the way to kick and punch. Because when I say to people, like I, I uh, asked you what the Tay means, and it's deeper than just the foot, and I hope you, you grasp that now, I hope the audience grasps that. The yeah. dough is the same way. So when I say to somebody, what does the dough mean? Oh, it's the way. And I say to them, which way? Oh, the way of hand and foot fighting. But why are you hand and foot fighting? Are you beating up your girlfriend? Are you beating up the bully? Are you stopping a robbery? Are you beating up to steal something yourself? I mean, what do you mean by that? And without understanding what the, the character Doe is actually writing, and you'll see it's the, it's the, uh, the same characters used for Taoism or Taoism, this, this, uh, religious beliefs uh, uh, that adhere to strict morality. So I, I think that's very, very important for people to understand. And, uh, you know, this shows the deep thinking of General Che. Mm -hmm. He was a very, very deep thinker. So now he gets this, he gets this uh, name written on the scroll. South Korea lies about it. It's a forgery. It doesn't exist. If it exists, where is it? And General Che said, when they asked him, where is it? He goes, I fled 
career for my life. I only told my wife I'm not coming back. And when I left, I was going on a two-week journey to teach Taekwondo. We had events lined up. And I traveled quite frequently for Taekwondo. So I was leaving, and I packed the bag for two weeks to show I'm coming back. I couldn't take all these things that I wanted to take with me, including his family. Remember, he's fleeing from a brutal dictatorship that is after him. They want to make an example of him because he's an outspoken critic. So who knows if he would have been killed, thrown in prison as a political prisoner, if they just would have wrestled uh, uh, Taekwondo from him. You know, I don't, we don't know what would have happened because he fled. There's a good indication he would have put, been put under house arrest. And, uh, you know, they wanted to silence him. Because remember, he travels around the world teaching this new martial art. And when he's finished teaching the martial art, what does he do? He has dinner at nighttime with people from the embassy, the consulate, the Korean community living overseas, and he riles them up. And when he's having dinner with the staff of the Korean embassy or Korean consul, who's there? KCIA. The British Secret Service, American CIA, uh, Korean CIA, all, intel all embassies around the, around the world have intelligence people assigned there, legitimately registered with the host government. It's not a secret. They're not working covertly. They're there, uh, and that's part of their diplomatic mission. Nothing, nothing improper about it. I'm not talking about people working the streets covertly, stealing things and being spies. I'm not talking about that. So uh, when they go out to eat, here's the KCIA guy, and he's listening to General Trey trash the dictator. Yep. And he's saying to myself, whoa, promotion for me. I'm going to get a big raise. Yep, he yep. goes back and he's sending the information to Seoul. Look yep. what this guy's saying and doing. So General Trey was <clears throat> a very outspoken, highly vocal critic of the regime. And uh, he never looked at Park as a legitimate president. He always looked at him as a dictator. And he kept telling them from day one, we stabilized the government with the coup. I supported the coup, as, as did most of the uh, generals did. They didn't know he was leading the coup. They thought he was the front man. And the guy leading the coup, coup was the Rock Army Chief of Staff, a Lieutenant General uh, Cho Dae-young, who was very well liked. But Park Chung-hee put, very soon put him under house arrest, back when the coup first happened. Yep. He, he, he let him exist for a brief period of time. He solidified his rule, put him under house arrest. What did he do with General Choi? Sent him out as ambassador. Yep. You know, people he could, he killed. People he would lock up, he did. Other people, house arrest, different things removed as political uh, prisoners. They would manufacture, oh, this person's a communist, this person a Japanese sympathizer, collaborator. So General Choi couldn't do it. They couldn't do any of that with him. So they promoted him, right? And they moved him out. Now, where is General Trey? He's in Malaysia. All of the people that didn't support Park Chung-hee, the, the general, now were removed and he solidifies his power. So, yeah. so uh, General Trey now uh, gets this uh, calligraphy and now he has the power to push this martial art. And uh, uh, because he was such a political person, it, it impacts his ability to control Taekwondo. So in the beginning, he had the power to control, the political power to control Taekwondo mm -hmm. as a uh, military general in a, in a developing country. The military is very, very important. Mm 
So he is a very powerful, influential figure. But as he goes against that dictator, he loses his power and he gets more and more confined to what what he can do. So he leaves. And the reason he doesn't have this calligraphy is because he couldn't take everything he needed to take with him. He's going on a two-week trip and doesn't come back. So where is his calligraphy? We don't know. And they lied about it. The, The most influential figure in the WTF side of Taekwondo uh, uh, said uh, very clearly that General Trey lied about this. It's a forgery. And uh, if, if, it, if he had it, if it existed, he'd have it. Now, nobody knows what happened to it. General Trey said it was in his office when he left and he doesn't know what happened to it because he doesn't know what happened to any of this stuff. Because yeah, yeah. remember, it took a while for him to get his wife and daughter out, yeah, one yeah. daughter. And they kept his son and other daughter there. And it was, you know, it was a chess thing, right? This cat and mouse game. Oh, General Trey, come home. They, they sent people to General Trey in Canada. Sir, come home, come home, come home. We'll give you any job you want. We'll give you, or we'll make you the foreign minister. That's, you know, like the U.S. Secretary of State, your foreign secretary. You know, so so that's what they, they uh, offered. And uh, he turned it down. So now... They say, you're never going to see your family. And he says, okay, so be it. I'm not going back home. So he calls their bluff because now they say, oh. So they say, we'll let out the wife and one daughter. And we'll show, see, everything's okay. Boom. Now mom is outside the country. She'll get dad. Hey, we got to go back to our two kids. We can't leave them as orphans. And General Say says, sorry, not going back. And now. What year would he have? So he leaves, he flees in secret. January 1972. Right. Okay. January 1972. And uh, so now the pressure is to come back to get his son and daughter. And we don't know. I, I, I know how he, the wife and daughter got out. You know, June Ray, he had uh, students. Uh, he had a student uh, who I interviewed at his home in Dominican Republic. He, he was from a family in Dominican Republic and was able to come to Texas to study at the university. He met June Ree there, trained under him, then went back home. You know, you D- Dominican Republic, if you go to an American university, you come back home, you get, you're in line to get pretty good jobs. He worked at the U.S. Embassy, had a lot of connections, and he eventually gave up working in the embassy because he started teaching Taekwondo and was making so much money. But it was through his connections, June Ree and this guy, Jose Cookie Reyes, uh, and General Choi, that they spoke to the Dominican president, who had a very good relationship with Park Chung Hee from Korea, uh, and they brokered a deal, let his wife and daughter out, one daughter out, and then from there they they went to North America and up to Canada, and we don't know why he left. He let the uh, the son and remaining daughter out, and that was a, a bit later. You know, it was, uh, goes over a period of time. And uh, we assume that since General Trey is not going home and now mommy's gone and she's in Canada, the two kids are orphans. So what is the Korean CIA and the South Korean dictatorship going to do with these two kids? Things will turn on them now because now they're the ones keeping the kids from, they're the bad guys. So eventually they let them out. And uh, General Trey's son, President Che jung he said to me, uh, we would just, at the house and they were teens at the time living in the family house and they would have other family members come and you know check with them they were pretty much uh uh self-reliant at the time his sister was older 
but uh, he just remembered the time the government came, the government meaning the KCIA, yep. pack your stuff, you're going. And they didn't know where they're going. Oh my God, where are we going? Oh, yep. we, you know, but they eventually got to Canada and reunited. So uh, uh, all of this plays into the whole thing where this animosity between the two rival groups. Uh, we find the calligraphy in the 1959 book because General Chase said, oh, it, it's not there because I left. But he said, oh, get the 1959 book because it's in there, you know, uh, and it was. Uh, so once we got that book, now we had the evidence, not only the calligraphy itself, but the story from, I don't know if it was from the Rock Army Chief of Staff or the White or the Blue House Chief of Staff, but somebody inside the administration wrote a letter, um, you know, establishing that the president wrote this because this is the name of the Korean national martial art. Yeah. So that's all in that 59 book. And uh, uh, that 59 book, like all the general trades books were ordered to be destroyed when he left. And, the, you know, uh, uh, a Park Chung-tae's teacher, one, one of his two teachers, uh, was a Colonel uh, Kim Soo Ryan, who was the pioneer of Taekwondo in India. He was from Kwangju, my, my teacher's hometown, and Park Chung Tae's hometown. My teacher actually knew Park Chung Tae. Uh, they went to the same high school together. But <clears throat> uh, he preserved that book. Now, he was a colonel in the military, and he could have been in a lot of trouble, I guess, if they found that. But he donated that book to the Taekwondo Wan, so it's in the museum there. And uh, when the museum curator was giving me a private tour, uh, a very nice uh, Korean lady, has a master's degree in history, nothing to do with Taekwondo. She's giving me a private tour of the museum and I'm pointing out some discrepancies and to their credit, uh, many of the discrepancies they corrected. And it was easy to see they were corrected because there was things that were just laminated or glued on uh, with the correct information. It was very obvious to see. So it was really cool they did that. At first, they didn't do it. The next administration came in and they asked me about uh, whatever. And I said, no, you guys are wasting my time. I said, I wrote like eight pages of things and I did a whole thing. Oh, I don't have it. I said, well, I gave it. I submitted it. Well, that was before my time. Can you resubmit it? And to his credit, he did uh, have some of those things corrected. So I was very impressed by them. But when this museum curator is giving me this tour, uh, she says, uh, she brings me to the, there's a horizontal. General Choi from Sigmund Rhee is vertical, the calligraphy. The one from Park Chung, he is horizontal. And that one uh, was March uh, 1971, right after Kim Won Young became president of KTA in 19, uh, January 1971. Within two months, he got Park Chung Hee to write in Korean Hangul, Kuki Taekwondo. Okay. And uh, she's pointing to that and she goes, that's the original. I said, oh, no, it's not. She goes, no, no, no that, that's the original in her Korean accent. That's yeah. original. I said, no, 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 ma'am, it's not. No, I'm, I'm curated. I know that's original. I said, no, ma'am, it's not. And she goes, yeah. I said, no, 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 that's March. I think it's 21st, 1972, 1971. Because yeah. the date is on it, but I wasn't looking. I just, you know, I have this photographic memory. Yeah. And she goes, that's not, that's not the original. The original one is from 1950s. That's the Park Chung Hee. Yeah, yeah, that's breath. I said, no, no. Original one's a Sigmund Ray. I said, which original? 1950s or 1970s? Wait, yeah. what do you mean? I said, you have it. No, I never see. I never see. I said, yes, you have it. 
I never see. I say, I don't know if you saw it or not. <laughs> this is the, this what I'm relaying is exactly what happened. You know, this New York style, right? You know? <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so I said, you have it. Maybe you didn't see it, but you have it. And I took her by the hand and I started walking with her back to the book, the 1959 book that's opened up to, I don't know what it was open to, some technique in it. Yep. And I said, in this book on page six, it's not page six. I was just making up a number, but it's in the beginning, uh, in the very beginning of the book is that could she grabs her portable radio and she's calling to the office. Somebody bring down the key. Cause she's got, I said, no, no, relax. It's there. Do it later. Trust me. I don't lie. It's there. And it's there. So see, whenever you lie, the lie will always come back. When you, when you interview somebody in a crime, you, you let them talk. Because the more they talk, they are trying to get themselves out of trouble, right? They're trying to manufacture something that didn't happen to cover what happened. Yeah. You will remember on this date, March 8th, my father would have been 100 104 today. Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, we, we will always remember we talked. We might not remember everything we talked about. You yeah. might say, oh, this guy didn't shut up or whatever. But That's you'll right. remember you'll remember history. Yeah. On, on March 8th, 2021, we had this conversation through Zoom. Yeah. That's factual. So uh, when you lie about stuff, you can never remember them because it's not, it, it yeah. didn't occur. It's, it's manufactured. So uh, this is what they've been doing. They've been lying. So Genetroy has the calligraphy. And uh, the story goes when he came up with the name Taekwondo, he called in. Uh, the the his team of you know in the Otakwan and he had to move the chairs and tables and desks whatever out of the way in whatever office room they were in and then he told Nam Tahi Nam and he points go up on the floor and Genotri has his manuscript and he's starting to read out the 29 movements of Waram he's talking him through these movements yep, yep. and then after this this is done he calls him sit here and he comes sits next to him and he hands him the manuscript and he tells him, order the sergeant to come up, Master Sergeant Han Chakil. <laughs> so the junior subordinate officer, which is Nam Tahi, calls up Han Chakil. And he now he's got the dirty movements of Chung Mu. Yeah. And he's calling out these movements of Chung Mu. And uh, these are the first two patterns developed. And supposedly that's how they came online. And uh, now General Trey said, this is the Korean martial art. And this is the name, Taekwondo. Yeah. So we don't know when that happened. We know it happened after the fall in September of 1954. They did the demonstration. And then they had the series of meetings. And then it was uh, uh, trying to get, like, General Trey knew something of this importance. And especially because he's fighting the, these contentious Quan heads that didn't even look at him as their level because Otakwan's new on the block. Yep, yep. So he, he realized he needs to get authorization and he can't get presidential authorization unless he gets members of society, other generals, politicians, newspaper people, business people. So that's why he has a series of meetings yep. to gain uh, support to approach this idea for the president to authorize the name and actually do the calligraphy. So there's a series of meetings. So my guess is 
that April 11, 1955 is when he does this with Warang Chungmu and introduces to the soldiers. Yep. Uh, there's, a, there's an internet, an urban myth that circulates on the internet that Sunduk Sun came up with the name Taekwondo. It's ludicrous. Uh, uh, Sunduk Sun appears in interviews in print, never mentions he came up with the name. Uh, he wrote two books. His books are called Korean Karate. Never mentions he came up with the name Taekwondo. And uh, even I just found last night on the internet, uh, a student of his posted a program of some event that was held in the United States. And uh, in the program is the picture of the meeting that took place in December of 1955 with Sunduk Sun and General Trey sitting at the meeting. And when you look at the caption, the, the type for the caption underneath you can see is whited out and typed in by typewriter mr sun so they they obviously took out jenna Choi's name and put in mr sun and the mr sun the type doesn't match the typesetting doesn't match and uh mr period s-o-n is obviously much smaller than general che hung he or general Choi, right yeah. or che hung he so so you can see the adding in of the Mr. Sun is not uh, centered. It's not in, in, in a line because it was added in. Yeah. So uh, one student who I dialogued on, another student, not this one, that I dialogued uh, over the internet with, he said he never thought Sunduk Sun said he came up with the name. He said he submitted it on paper voting for it. Okay. So regardless of any of that it doesn't matter the name was was came up with general Choi and colonel nam in the military and introduced to the military troops the soldiers that were there at the time confirmed they were using the name in the military before they sought permission and grandma kim bokman tells the story very clearly that they knew this was a big deal and they needed to get permission. So they needed to, to start networking to get it. So clearly they had this name well before Sunduk Sun was sitting at that meeting. But see, again, if somebody says, and, and I believe it was done at a dinner and Sunduk Sun hated General Choi, they became bitter, bitter enemies. General Choi was the one that orchestrated him being removed from the Changdequan. He was mad at General Choi because in 1959, General Choi takes a military Taekwondo team to Vietnam and Taiwan to demonstrate. First time ever Taekwondo is demonstrated abroad. So uh, he was left off the team and General Choi said, well, you're not in the military. You can't be on a military team. Yeah. It was all military personnel. And I have the roster. It's all military personnel with their military serial numbers. So Sunduk Sun, and I can understand him being upset at it, but this is a, a route. There are more routes to why the, the relationship soured. Uh, at first, it was a relationship made in heaven, you know, mutually beneficial. And then General Choi being this very powerful, domineering, uh, influential person, started exerting more and more influence in the Chengdukwan. He couldn't lead the Chandakwan because he's in the military. So that's why he's honorary director. But he is more and more exerting what he wants. Uh, some of the pioneers that were students at the Chandakwan would say, Genetrace calligraphy we all over the place. And all the, the, the sayings that he, you know, these great sayings from Confucius and, and uh, from the Chinese classics, uh, these idioms, uh, uh, these uh, tidbits of wisdom. And 
if you even see, you always have to collaborate things. When you see that Lee Wong Guk was sitting there at the Chung Duan, uh, you will see General Choi's calligraphy in the background, yeah. you know? So uh, all these things start to make sense when you, you piece them together. But some people think that Sun Duk Sung came up with the name and it's ridiculous. I've had uh, a student say to me and, and, and others, Korean pioneer grandmasters, he would, again, I'm not being derogatory, but grandmaster Sun, although was a, a, an outstanding Korean martial artist and is an iconic legend, suffered because he was a Korean during the occupation and didn't have much of a formal education. Mm -hmm. So he, he didn't, uh, he didn't, uh, uh, he didn't know much as far as education goes. He certainly wouldn't have known Chinese Hanja. Yeah. Certainly, and certainly wouldn't have known it to the extent where he can find a very rare character like Tay. Yep. Uh, as, as when I told you I spoke to the librarian and the Chinese tutor about this, they say it's rarely used. Uh, it's old. It's like, oh, how'd you find this? Like, you know, like, why are you asking this? You know, yeah, because yeah. it's just not something that's used. So uh, I've had I've had Korean pioneers. Uh, one in particular did very serious research on the history of Taekwondo and interviewed Sun Duk Sun. They give this no credence whatsoever. And he never said that outside of his circle. He said that in his circle of students and they started circulating until somebody like me came and said, are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. <laughs> See, so, so we know where the name came from and it was General Choi's, uh, it was his conception. And we know what the motivation was. And now he's using that name and he tries then to form a Korean Taekwondo Association. It doesn't last. And it's with the six Kwans in 1959. It doesn't last much. Uh, General Choi goes away to be in Mala uh, Malaysia to be ambassador. The, the Taesudo Association is, is created. And eventually General Choi becomes the third president of that. And in, in January 1965, gets elected to a one-year term. And in August, on August 5th, by him to take his Taekwondo name. Uh, the Taesudo name is dropped and they take the Taekwondo name. Yep. His Taekwondo name as their preferred label. Uh, and when General Choi is forced out, they want to go back to Taekwondo. They want to go back to Taesudo. Mm -hmm. And when Kim Un young comes, he says, we're not going back to Taesudo. Why would we do that? General Choi already has a platform, a base he spread around the world. We're just going to work off that, build from that, and co-op that. And that's what they did. They would bribe people. They would pay them off. And some people just said, I'm sick of General Choi. He's too much of an autocratic uh, leader, his way of the highway. I'm making money here. I don't need this. I'm going off on my own. Some said, whoa, wait a second. I'm a Korean living overseas. I want to support my, my home, my native country. I'm going to join the new WTF. And so there's a lot of all that. But, but some of it, like with my teacher and so many others, Grandma Sariki Ha, his family suffered. Grandma Sariki Ha, the most loyal student ever of Taekwondo. Why? From start to finish, he never left the ITF. He never left General Choi. Yeah. That's why he was the best student ever of Taekwondo. Yeah. And nothing to do with technique, although he's a Superman. There's no, no doubt about that. But it's because of his steadfast loyalty to General Choi. Yeah. And uh, uh, he told me horror stories about what, what happened to his family. Uh, 
Case A used to follow him when he went to South Korea. They hold him up at the airport. It was just awful. Uh, his, his family told me of what, what, how they suffered there. And uh, when I went to interview Kim Won Young, we parked the car in the garage of his office building and we, we rented an SUV and we could never open the back. We just could not open it. We did not know how to open it. And it was not a Korean vehicle. It was, I think an American made vehicle, yep, yep. but we just could not figure out how to open it. So yep. every time we'd have to put the seat down and open up the back door and put all the equipment in there. We go up, we go up to the uh, office to interview and we come down. The film crew, we get in the car, he starts the thing up and he sees on the, on the dashboard, the rear thing is open. Wow. So we're like, what is up with that? We couldn't open it. We know it wasn't us. And when we went there, we were driving, it wasn't open. When we parked the car, we didn't try to open it. We took everything out the back, the back doors, because the seat was down. And we're like, what's up with this? And what's the assumption? Yep. KTIA is listening to us too. <laughs> so this intrigue is wild. But so that's how General Choi, you know, moved forward with the name. And he created his martial art based upon these patterns. They were very popular. The majority of the Koreans started to doing them. And they were very popular because they were named after these great Korean patriots, these iconic figures or significant dates or events or themes in, in Korean culture and Korean history. So uh, uh, now we fast forward and after General Trey's one year term is up, he's forced out of the KTA. They don't let him run again. And uh, uh, they help him set up the ITF and now there's the ITF and KTA and now there's two competing organizations. And General Trey is gonna build the Kukiwon not that he was going to call it to Kukiwan, but he has the plans for this headquarters for the ITF, International Training Center. Yeah. And uh, we have the plans. I, ha I have the actual, you know, uh, 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 drawing of it. Uh, Grandmaster Kim Jong-chan, who was General Trey's right-hand man in the 60s in Korea, one of his students' father was an architect, and that's where they got the, the plans from. So General Trey had gotten permission for the land, and now he's going to get funds, and the KTA is going ballistic because remember the kta is the actual entity korean entity that's registered with the korean government that supervises taekwondo in korea general Choi eventually would register the kta with the minister of foreign affairs as a as a uh social organization for international goodwill and the minister of education in, uh, in south korea so it was registered i have those serial numbers i have that all, all that stuff and uh but the KTA, make no mistake, they are the ones that's supposed to be dispatching instructors abroad and cr uh, uh, controlling Taekwondo in, inside of Korea uh, from a government standpoint. And, you know, General Choi would dispatch people abroad. Why? Because he had a network there already. They're sponsoring them. And General Choi's got the connections in the foreign ministry because it's a military government. He was a military general. And all these people in government are his old subordinates, his friends his colleagues, his peers. So he's getting his, his followers to get passports to get, cause you couldn't like in UK, United States, you want a passport, you just go apply for it. Yeah, yeah. You just, you just pay the money, fill out the application. And if you're a British citizen, American citizen, they issue a passport. There's no questions. There's no authorization you need to get in Korea to get a passport to travel abroad. You needed 
to be, get permission to get that. Yeah. And that's why uh, Riki Ha and C.K. Choi were the first two dispatched abroad with Taekwondo instructor actually listed as their occupation on the passport. Yeah. They weren't the first two Taekwondo instructors to go abroad. General Che was, and then Kim Bak Man and Lieutenant uh, Wu Jae Lim. Uh, Kim Bak Man was a master sergeant and Kim, uh, Wu, Wu Jae Lim was a lieutenant. They were out of the military and they General Che sent them to Malaysia because this thing's going crazy and they become these instrumental pioneers in Southeast Asia. But uh, so, the, so the KTA and ITF the civilians in General Choi are really going at it. And the KTA objects to General Choi trying to get funding to build his headquarters. Yeah. So General Choi says to the government, what are you talking about? I'm Taekwondo, Korean martial art. Yeah. We're the national martial art of Korea. Just two years before you funded our Goodwill Tour to go around the world. They distributed the Taekwondo book, the English book that said Taekwondo, Korean national, Korean martial art of self-defense. Is it what are you talking about? These guys are karate. Do you want to fund an, a center for Japanese karate in Korea? And he said, what are you talking about? Go, go ask them what they're doing. They're doing Japanese kata. And, you know, the civilian, what's kata? He goes, you know, I'll tell you. Warang Chungmu, Uji, that's, you know, Dangun. So General Choi is winning the argument. And then what's the KTA do? Oh, my God, he's right. That's when they very quickly put together the Palge. Okay. The set of forms. So they go and say, no, 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 we're Korean. We're Korean. We're Korean. We're Korean Taekwondo. You know, he's international Taekwondo. We, so, you know, this is going on. And then, of course, General Choi leaves. They build the Kukiwan. They name it that. But that was all General Choi's vision. Uh, the Kukiwan hosted the first world, world championships of Taekwondo in 1973. First ever. It was not the WTF World Championships. It's the KTA World Championships. Because okay. why the WTF didn't exist then? Yep, when yep. the tournament ended, all the medals are awarded. They have a meeting and they establish the WTF. So the WTF couldn't host the first world championship because they weren't in existence yet. Yep. So it was the first world championships hosted by the KTA. And it was hosted in the Kukiwan. Why the Kukiwan? The Kukiwan was the central gymnasium for the KTA. Yep. So uh, now when General Trey leaves after Kim Won-young comes and Kim Won-young said publicly, I was sent by the Blue House to clean up the mess in Taekwondo and the mess being General Choi and the struggle for control. And uh, I have a picture. Uh, Park Chung-hee goes to Germany, West Germany in that day, right? Germany's divided uh, part of the Cold War, settlement of World War II, like, like uh, Korea. But sadly, Korea wasn't an, an aggressive country. It was not an aggressor, it was not a belligerent. It was an uh, innocent occupied country. So why would they divide it? You're gonna divide it, but why are you gonna divide Japan? Because you divided Germany. But the, the, the division happened because uh, Stalin, Roosevelt, and uh, Churchill, one of my great heroes, Sir Winston Churchill, <laughs> uh, Probably, uh, I probably think, uh, I don't know what the world would be like if, if he wasn't at the helm in those days, the yeah. sheer determination. I really admire the Brits. Boy, the tenacity, what they went through, I'm telling you, big admirer. But anyway, these three come up with the plan that whoever liberates a country will help that country reestablish. So obviously, uh, the Soviets came in on one side of Germany and the Allied troops came in another side of Germany. And that was the same case in Korea. So that's why they were divided. And Japan, the, the Soviets never entered. It, the, the U.S. was there already. Yeah. 
So yeah. that's why Japan wasn't divided. But the division was because whoever uh, liberated the country would now set up the government. So uh, it shouldn't have been a problem, but it was because the Soviets and the allies had competing ideologies. So uh, each, each one wanted a satellite following their political and ideological system. So uh, when, when you look at Taekwondo, you have this same type of divide in that same you know, uh, realm. And you know, General Trey is now forced out of Korea because Kim Won-young comes in and he's gonna clean up Taekwondo. And I was mentioning about that picture. So in the late 60s, Park Chung, he goes to West Germany and there's a bunch of Western students, Western, meaning American GIs and Germans, yep. uh, standing at the airport with the little Korean flags. So this president gets, Korea in those days, very poor country. I don't even think they had their own jet. It might've been a commercial flight, yep. but this president gets off the plane, was walking through the terminal and he sees all these Westerners with the Korean flag. And he walks over to them, he says, why are you, you know? And they said, sir, my Taekwondo instructor said the president of his country is coming. We have to welcome you to Germany. So Park Chung-hee was very smart, very shrewd, said, wow, look at the power that Taekwondo has as a political and cultural propaganda tool. Yep. So he fo also followed the Japanese model about sport and building national pride. So he put a lot of money into building the sport program in South Korea, very instrumental in getting the Olympics, even though he was killed before that. He really put, put this push in there and the generals that followed him continued along with that. Kim Won-young deserves great credit for that. I call him the father of Olympic Taekwondo. Without Dr. Kim Won-young, uh, uh, Taekwondo is not in the Olympics, no question at all. I know him and General Trey didn't get along, uh, but because they didn't get along doesn't mean I can't credit both people with what what they gave us so uh so there was a lot of uh support going into taekwondo because you know today you know we have uh korean vehicles hyundai kia right and we have uh, uh samsung the phone what, what is the galaxy rivaling the iphone and you know uh daewoo and all these other uh electronics and whatnot come out of south korea so none of that happened early on the only thing was exported from korea was Taekwondo. Yeah. And they built this image abroad of Taekwondo. They taught us Korean culture, Korean history. They would send money back to Taekwondo. People, people living like, like myself, I don't know how many times I've been to Korea. I go to Korea as a tourist. I deposit my, my tourist dollars there. You know, this is really, really great for Korea. Uh, they've gotten into the Olympics. So we have all of this tension. And, uh, uh, but that's how General Choi got into it and, and rose up. You know, we know he studied karate in Japan. Uh, did he get black belt? I don't know. Did he get second degree black belt? I don't know. I'm not saying one way or the other because there's no independent verification. He says he did. I'm not saying he didn't. I just say we can't prove it. There are other people that say he was a color belt, maybe only a green belt. Okay. I've heard other accounts. He was only a brown belt. I don't know. I really don't care. Uh, because we know what his background was. He was told stories about Taekyan or these exercises and you know whatever the, it was. And he learned some basic rudimentary karate in Japan. So did these other Koreans. That's, it was all basic rudimentary karate. There is no independent verification of any original Kwan founder. 
their rank. None whatsoever. Nobody has ever produced a certificate. Nobody. Mm-hmm. Nobody. So we know people say Lee Wong Gook was a first degree. We know some people say he was a second degree. Some people was a third degree. Some people was a fourth degree. I don't know what he was. All I know is he was an iconic figure, pivotal in the history of the development of Taekwondo because he opened up a very influential Chung Do Kwan. And from there, those students created uh, Taekwondo. So uh, I'm not discounting that. Uh, What did he teach? We know what he taught. He taught Japanese karate. It was very rudimentary. We know what his students say they learned. Some of them still to this day are teaching that same system more or less. So those things are easily verifiable. There's nothing complex about it. There's nothing deep about it. So did General Trey have this extensive training? Well, he had minimal training. I don't know. I only know his finished product. His finished product was not created solely by him. He had the input of many, many people, including uh, some very highly competent and well thought of instructors from the Chengdu Kwan, very talented black at what people accomplished. And if you tell me that General Trey had no extensive formal training, then I say, geez, that doesn't diminish him. That increases his creative genius yep his creative genius because look what this man accomplished nobody nobody no martial artist no korean no chinese no japanese no martial artist ever accomplished what general trade did he had over 100 countries following his system he would have 50 to 70 to 80 countries show up for a world championship where the gold medal standard right? The world champion was the one that performed the patterns that he devised to the standard he insisted. That's, that's unprecedented task. Nobody wrote the uh, types of textbooks he did, including a 15 volume encyclopedia of Taekwondo. Nobody. And I forget, uh, I was up to 12, maybe 13. That's, that's unprecedented. Uh, Bruce Lee, you know, uh, had books translated. No, no question. Maybe, maybe more languages, but Bruce Lee never wrote, uh, you know, a, a 15 volume encyclopedia documenting a, a you know, a, a fairly complete system of martial art. It's nobody. The, the next one in my mind, especially in a Korean perspective, would be uh, Masoyama. <coughs> but Masoyama was promoting Japanese karate mm-hmm. under a Japanese name. He abandoned his Korean given name, the name he was born to, which also was uh, Che Choi, you know, by by coincidence. Uh, but but certainly the next one is Wang Ki, the Mudokwan founder. His Tang Sudo that he he first named Wasudo, then he 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 used the uh, Tang Sudo label that Lee Wang Guk came up with, and then eventually moved to the Wasudo label when he found that old book and and you know knew about the. Uh, 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 you know, Korea's past and uh, Subakdo. So he, Wasudo to Tangsudo to Subakdo. Because uh, uh, Subaki, again, he meaning indicates it was a type of a game or sporting yep. thing, not yep. really a martial arts. So he he dropped the he, H-I, and put in the D-O for the, for the Do. So uh, Wan Ki was another brilliant Korean martial artist. Not a Taekwondo man, and again, it's not a it's not a, a slant, a, a slag, or a dig at him. Not not at all, uh, because he it was miraculous what he did. But what he did was paled in comparison to 
you know, General Choi and, and the ITF. But uh, Wan Ki and General Che are two people that the South Korean authorities badmouth. Why those two? Why Wan Ki and Che Hung Hee? Well, because those are the two that didn't sign on to the sport movement. Yeah. They didn't sign on to the sport movement. They were ostracized. And Wan Ki did not flee Korea. He stayed and fought to his credit and he prevailed in the courts. He won a series of court cases so that were forced to leave him alone. They tried to destroy him. They split his Mutaquan and then a, a significant group of his students uh, left and went to the Kukiwan and KTA and uh, were instrumental in helping that uh, to grow. Uh, the the, the Mutaquan uh, senior that left uh, became one of the iconic figures in, in leading the Kuki uh, Taekwondo's development. So, you know, th that's that's it in a nutshell of how General Trey came uh, on the scene, what his background was. But, you know, I, again, I have to reiterate, here is a guy that you're saying did not have extensive martial arts experience. And people will poo-poo him because he was not, he was in, in, in jacket and tie, yeah. and he's not in uh, a, a traditional martial art a uniform, a gi, a dobak, or whatever. Uh, he's he's this uh, image of of like a leader, not not an actual hands-on instructor. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean anything. Remember, he set the standard for what a hundred plus countries around the world are trying to follow, and fifty to eighty of them show up at a world championship every two years and are trying to emulate. And the gold medal standard, the one that comes closest to that standard, is yeah. the world champion. I mean, that's Nobody did that. And I don't know how you say General Choi was not a martial artist. He was a martial artist in every sense of the word. He put his Taekwondo in front of his own family, no matter how late he was up, no matter how much he drank the night before when he's out traveling and celebrating with people. He was up at the same time in the morning, pounding those uh, uh, walls and posts and conditioning his hand and doing his calisthenics. There's a really uh, great uh, video they did a interview General Choi towards the end of his life at his home in Canada and he's in his pajamas and he's doing his stretching and calisthenics, yep. you know, and this was his routine, no matter where he was. Uh, I mean, General Choi would say it, but the people that traveled with him would say it. Mm -hmm. They would say, they would hear like this thumping and, you know, they would see him like some of them roomed with him. You know, the funds are low. He didn't even have his own room and he didn't mind that. You know, he was really, he really was like this, uh, general which you could see as aloof but he really was a man of the people he just loved his country and he loved his martial art and he loved making people better through it and it's a shame that uh his reputation has been dragged through the mud uh for dirty political korean politics which has nothing to do with me and you me yeah. and you could fight over should the, should the uk brexit or not uh, you know, did, did Donald Trump was good good for USA, good for the world or not? We can argue over that. That's politics. That has nothing to do with our Taekwondo. Yeah. We're martial art brothers. We yeah. have this camaraderie. So uh, it's a shame that Korean politics, not Taekwondo politics, Korean politics has hurt us so much. Yeah. But, you know, that's how we came in and the, the overview there. Yeah. One, one, uh, one final question that I, I want that I really want to cover. Uh, and it, it relates slightly to just what you were talking about there about General Choi's actual ability as a, as a physical martial artist. Mm -hmm. And I've heard this 
I was involved in, I've, I've, I've involved myself in this debate in my younger, uh, more arrogant, more uh, ill-informed mm. years, and I, I'm, I'm right. happy to admit that now, uh, was about the creation of the patterns. So uh, we had, we, we've ended up with, with, with 24 patterns. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a member of AMA, which uh, as a student of Grandmaster Hiel Cho, right. we yep. study the original Again, it's up for debate. The original twenty patterns, uh, and there, there's there's always a debate. It seems to be about who created the patterns, who developed the patterns, uh, who actually made the patterns up. So this is a wonderful opportunity that I have with your good self sitting in front of me to ask that question and hopefully get a definitive answer on that. Sure. Okay. So. <clears throat> um... Uh, I would say several people. There was a guy named Che Hung Hee that created the patterns. There was this military general called the Che Hung Hee, General Che Hung Hee. He created the patterns. There was this ambassador. He was the first Korean ambassador to Malaysia. Ambassador Che Hung Hee. He created the patterns. There was this guy that moved from Korea to Canada. His name was Che Hung Hee. He created the pattern. Wonderful. Yep. Yep. Created the patterns. Yeah. Yep. So that's right. When when he was uh, do, is it is it factual that he had all of the pattern movements in his head? He he was the one who said that it's this move followed by this move followed by this move. Correct. Okay. So <clears throat> I, I was uh, being a little obnoxious in saying Che Hung Hee. No, 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 on purpose, on purpose, on purpose. Yep, yep. Uh, that's the push in New Yorker. I want to hammer home the message. Che Hung Hee created the ITF Taekwondo patterns. They were his creation from his brain. This does not mean he did it alone. This does not mean he didn't have suggestions, input, and feedback. He solicited feedback. And so... Uh, I recounted earlier the first two patterns developed, Warang and Chungmu. Uh, several sources all confirm that. Several sources all confirm that. Yeah. And these patterns were developed um, after, after the demonstration in 1954, September, in front of President Sigmund Rhee. Why? Because they weren't performed in the demonstration. So if he was putting this out, uh, I just have to stop. Warang is, the, these two points is very important. Warang, the first pattern developed. Um, there was a colonel in the military, a subordinate to General Choi, that General Choi knew very well. And uh, if you look at the, the 1972 textbooks, the Bible of Taekwondo, there was six editions and two reprints. In those books is the history of martial arts, the origins of martial arts and the history of Taekwondo. Those were written by this Dr. Lee and uh, Colonel. He was the president of a university in South Korea at the time when he wrote this. Uh, these accounts are <clears throat> appeared in the 72 book and were uh, repeated in the encyclopedia. Uh, I, I believe they were, I don't know if they were in a magazine article or a paper, 
or a newspaper that was written, uh, uh, you know, uh, back obviously before 72 in Korea. So uh, this man was a historian that made it up to, I think, Lieutenant Colonel. Uh, so he's a colonel in the, in the Rock Army, uh, a subordinate to General Choi. He is the person that Dr. Ree Sigmund, the first president of Korea, commissioned to uh, uh, not, not reinvent. They were trying to reinvent, re, they were trying to reinvigorate and uh, uh, reinstill pride and, and bring back the culture that was eradicated under the Japanese occupation. This was a program uh, overtly uh, being sponsored by the government to do. So this, this uh, uh, historian was the one who's credited with coming up with the myth about the Wadong warriors, and it is largely a myth. But this is the first pattern that General Trey creates. I don't think that's a coincidence. No. I don't think that's a coincidence at all. Who, which is the second, Chung Mu. Who is Chung Mu? Chung Mu is the most revered uh, military officer in the history of Korea, who was Uji, another military general. So you have the admiral by sea, the general by land. These were, and, and this is not, and then, then you come up with Samil, March 1st, which just passed the independence movement in 1919. Then you have Unam, the pen name for Sigmund Rhee, was the way that General Choi sucked up and tried to gain favor to the president because he wanted support. And once that guy was banished, uh, 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 left exile, the American CIA flew, flew him out on a CIA plane to Hawaii and he lived his last remaining years, I think eight years in, in Hawaii and he died, died in exile. But when he left in 1960, General Choi there was a second printing or a second edition of that first book, the 1959 book. And in that second book, 1960, Unam is already taken out. That's why I deemed it the lost or forgotten pattern. Yeah. So you can see that this was very important. The, the, the history, the culture, the national pride. So where did General Trey come up with the idea to use these figures to name his patterns after? And it was in the United States. He came here 1949-1950. They rushed him back home when the all-out fighting of the Korean Civil War started. But, but he was here. He did two training, one in uh, uh, Fort Riley, Kansas, I believe, and one in Fort Central USA, and one in the East, East Coast. Um, I don't know if it was Kansas or Oklahoma, but in, in, the, in the Midwest and on the East Coast. And in between the two trainings, he had free time. Uh, sightseeing in, in New York City, you see, the, you see the Statue of Liberty, you see the Empire State Building, and you see him in Washington, D.C., the Lincoln Memorial. He came up with the idea, especially Washington, D.C., our national capital, everything is named after our patriotic figures. You know, <clears throat> the English, the Scotch, uh, the Welsh, the Irish, the Spaniards, the Italians, the Greeks, the Africans, the, the Egyptians, uh, the Moroccans, uh, the, the Koreans, the Chinese, the Okinawans, they all came up naturally based upon language, culture, religion, these traditions. There was no hard borders. The United States came up with what? There were British subjects. 
The United States was formed on an ideal. You could move to the United States, legally immigrate, become a US citizen. You could be just as American as me. You won't speak American like I do, but as far as everything goes, you'll be just as American as me. The only thing you won't be able to do is run for president. That's all, no difference. No, so I can go to Japan, you can go to Japan. We can both go to Korea, South Korea, North Korea. We could live there. We might, it's very, very hard to get citizenship in those countries and, and other com- countries as well. Yeah. I, I'm a citizen of the EU. I'm an Irish citizen as well. I can live anywhere in, in Europe, no problem, right? So uh, in the EU, not in Europe, but in the EU. But uh, uh, so no matter where we went to, if we legally immigrated, there's a provision to become a legal resident, a permanent resident, and then maybe even citizenship. But in no way could I ever become Korean. It's just not possible. I won't be Korean in the sense of what is a Korean, the essence of a Korean, of a Japanese. I can go to German. I can learn Korean. I can learn German. I can become a German citizen. But will I be a German? Maybe my children would be born and raised in Germany, German culture, whatever. I don't know. But clearly, I can never become a Korean. I can never become an Egyptian. It's just not. It's just not. I can never become a Nigerian. Why is the Nigerian a Nigerian? It goes back to their traditions in their national units, their tribal uh, uh, customs and whatnot, yeah. right? So it's the same thing here. You know, when, when we look at Korea had to be re, uh, reborn, so to speak. So the patterns were very, very important. So General Choi had the idea of, of who he wanted the pattern to be named after and then assembled moves and he put them in a sequence. Now, at various times in assembling these sequences, he had people around him. Some like Nam Tae-hee and Han Cha-kyo, General Choi had it written out on a manuscript. He called them up. He's, he's calling out the movements. Yeah. Now, if he's calling out the movements, you think Nam Tae-hee created those movements? He's calling them out. Now he comes here. He says, you call them out here. Now, you know how I know that Han Chao-kyo didn't make Chung-mu? His students think they did. Because Han Chao-kyo told the story to Grandmaster Jung-woo-jin. I'm arguing with General Choi. When you do the flying sidekick, you know, like we step left, jump off that left foot, and then kick with the right foot. He was trying to say, no, jump, step left, jump right, jump off the right foot, kick with the right, which is the way you would do a flying kick. Mm-hmm. He's telling General Choi, no, you got to do it this way. So who do you think made Chung Mo? Han Cha-kyo or General Choi? So, so every single pioneer that I've interviewed that had anything to do with the patterns, including, uh, you mentioned Heo Cho, Heo Cho's instructor, Cho Sang Ming. He was back in Korea when they were doing, he, was, he, he took over teaching the international instructor course when J.C. Kim went to Malaysia, dispatched abroad. And uh, he tells me, General Choi had the manuscript. J.C. Kim, the same thing. They all said the same thing. Nam Tae-hee told me, told Alex Gillis. He told uh, Grandmaster Earl Weiss. This is before Alex Gillis did his phenomenal book. Yeah. This is all out that, that Nam Tae-hee said, I was the actor. He was the director. He had the script and he was telling us what to do. We yeah. gave feedback, which a good director like Clint Eastwood is one of my favorite directors. And he says he shoots one or two takes, that's it. 
And a lot of the times the actor will say, that didn't feel right. Can I, can I, can we shoot this again? He goes, and, and they say, Clint Eastwood say, it looked fine to me, but let's, you want to go at it again? Let's do it. So a good director is going to solicit feedback. So there's no question that there were people that, and they told General Trey, no, General Trey, this doesn't flow. And they made adjustments. Now making adjustments, does that mean you are a co-creator? Maybe. That's subjective. Yeah. If uh, So for instance, what is Gaybeck? Gaybeck is 44 movements. Yeah. So Gaybeck 44 movements, uh, this is done with Grandmaster Choi Chang-kyun, C.K. Choi. Yeah. He tells me the story. Uh, they're in uh, Nansan. Nansan is where the Army Recruit Training Center is. Yeah. Uh, C.K. Choi gets permission from his parents to join the military and uh, General Wu, Wu Jung Lim, which is his teacher, was a subordinate to General Choi. Uh, he was at time in uh, charge of, uh, he opened the first Otakwan civilian school with C.K. Choi and Grandma Sakong Yung-o were, were training at. So he's their instructor. Uh, he went to the house and said, don't worry, we're under General Choi, we're gonna get him a cushion assignment. He won't be up at the front. He won't be at the DMZ, you know, he probably, and these guys told me, they wore their Taekwondo uniform, their Dobak, much more than their military uniform or the military fatigues, you know? Uh, and that's what they did. Uh, Park, uh, Park Chung-soo told me he, he used to wear his military uniform quite often because he was in the color guard. So he, all the parades and things, you know, he had to get dressed up to hold the flag. You know? <laughs> so so uh, C.K. Choi tells a story about Gaybeck. They're in Nansan. What happened in Nansan? What is this area? The Army Recruit Training Center is there. So years after he told me the story, I'm driving around in Nansan with... Uh, Dr. Zibby Crook and CJO from the Taekwondo Tool Tour. And I see Nansan and we're driving and I see Gaybeck Road, R-O. That means like Gaybeck Road or street or something like that. And I said, oh my, my God, Gaybeck. And I said, oh yeah, this is the area he was from. Now, I don't know if they knew that's where General Choi was in the early 60s when he was in charge. He was in charge of the recruit training center. Yep. And that's where C.K. Choi was, was assigned, and he worked with him on Gay Beck. And we know, we know that because this account is well documented. And he told me, no, 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 General Choi had the movements already, and he had the name already, and he had that it was done on the, you know, the pattern diagram is a, is a vertical, a straight line, a vertical line, and that's to indicate General Gay Beck's strict military discipline. Like, yep. he didn't deviate from his mission. Yep. So... General Choi had all that in mind when he's telling him do these things. And C.K. Choi would tell him. Kang Yung-il told me the same thing. Cho Sang-ming, who was doing, uh, he, he taught Hyo Cho and Park Chung-tae. They were in that uh, same international instructor course. And by the way, Hyo Cho, because he graduated so high up, he got dispatched to India. Yep. He's the uh, pioneer of Taekwondo in India. And today he's not given credit by people in India. But he is the person. Him and another one, his name escapes me. The other one was actually the senior, so he, he probably might deserve more credit. But he seemed to have faded into obscurity in Taekwondo history. As Kim Bakman and, and uh, uh, Wu Jae Lim, what happened to Wu Jae Lim? Kim Bakman became this really uh, thriving figure that had a huge following, created his own group, his own martial art and whatnot. So 
uh, Heel Cho uh, uh, instructor uh, told me about like the last four patterns that are in the 72 book. He was very instrumental in helping with them. <coughs> uh, Han Cha Kyo with Tong Il, uh, Nam Tahi with Warang and Han Cha Kyo with Warang and uh, Han Cha Kyo with Chung Mu, uh, Han Cha Kyo with Uji. You know, these are all uh, uh, documented where they were now. You said the 20 patterns. It wasn't originally 20 patterns. Originally, there was two. Of course. Warang and Chung Mu, right? And then they just... Now, how do we come up with original or 20 or whatever? So <clears throat> the first book is 1959, and it has five patterns in it. So we can say those are the original five patterns, right? Yeah. Because they appear in documented form somewhere. Then we come up with the 1965 book with the 20 patterns. So people think, oh, the original 20 patterns. No. 24 patterns were done. They simply ran out of time to yeah. complete the book because they were going on the Cookie Goodwill tour around the world, government-sponsored, and they needed to print the books. So the layout, you know, didn't have computers and all that stuff, and everything was done by typesetting and photographic frames and very tedious the footprint diagrams and whatnot. So they simply ran out of time. So in Malaysia, because of the 65 book, I credit um, uh, Grandmaster Kim Bukman and Wu J. Lim in assisting with, uh, what is it, 15, 16 of those patterns? Because we know Tang Il was done before that. And why do we know that? Because Han Chak Kyo was helping with that and Han Chak Kyo wasn't in Malaysia. We know Gay Beck was done before that because Gay Beck was done in Nansan before General Choi went to Malaysia. Yeah. So I kind of came up with the, with the thing that, well, we need to credit two people uh, with those 16 patterns because we know they were there def definitively, yeah. that they yeah. were there assisting him. And Kim Bukman told me in the room, they, they actually first, they first got off the boat and uh, they arrive in Malaysia. They're living in General Choi's residence, the official ambassador's residence in a room. They shared a room. I don't know if they had mattresses on the floor or twin beds, but they were in this room. And on the room, they would have pinned up on the walls, A, B, C, D, you know, the facing the, the diagram. And they had General Choi's manuscript and they would work through these patterns. Now, I do know if you look at the patterns, early, all of the early patterns are not symmetrical. Oh, yeah, yep. From Chunji and those that came afterwards, mm -hmm. they're all symmetrical. And I believe Grandmaster Kim Bukman insisted upon that with General Che. And he obviously was successful. And I believe him because there's no reason not to believe him. And as an indication, well, the ones that General Choi created that didn't have him there are not symmetrical. Yep. So this somehow was a major influence. And Kim Buck Man was there living with General Choi and then they eventually were living in the Dojang. They got their own apartments and whatnot, but eventually they were outside of the governor's residence. I mean, the ambassador's residence and had their own places, whether it was in the Dojang or their own apartment, but they were very close with General Choi and uh, 
Malaysia and Singapore grew like wildfire. That's when General Choi asked for Riki Ha and C.K. Choi to come. And because uh, it, it really was going, going wild. So there's no question that uh, Nam Tae Han Cha Kyo, Kim Bok Man, Wu Jae Lim. And see, one of the things I'd like to make clear about Malaysia, uh, we emphasize Kim Bok Man, but Lieutenant Wu Jae Lim was there with Sergeant Kim Bok Man. So you must equally credit Wu Jae Lim because yeah. they were partners. They were very, very close. Now, I don't know who contributed more. Uh, I do know that Grandmaster Kim Buk Man was this phenomenal martial artist that has a world following that's still very active today in his 80s. Yeah. So there's no doubt in my common sense thinking that he was highly instrumental. Mm -hmm. Also, knowing Grandmaster Kim, he's very vocal. He's not afraid to challenge anybody, including General Troy. Yep. And he, along with Grandmaster J.C. Kim, you know, these people that, that challenged General Troy, they were always getting fired, fired and rehired, you know? But, you know, that's kind of like the sign of a bad general keeps firing people, but a sign of a good general, oh, I value the input, let me get them back, you know? <laughs> you know, I always want people to tell me when I'm wrong, because when I'm wrong, I can uh, adjust my findings or I can say, I never thought of that, but the, now I think of it, you're actually wrong. So I, I like that pushback and that feedback. So now, now General Trey leaves, his, his diplomatic assignment is over in Malaysia, goes back to uh, uh, Seoul as ambassador at large, becomes the KTA president, changes the name from Taesudo uh, to Taekwondo, puts this book together. And one of the ways he won the vote by one margin is because he said, listen, I'm the president of the Korean Taesudo Association. I'm going on the Kuki Taekwondo government-sponsored Goodwill Tour. I just had Taekwondo um, proclaim the national martial art of Korea. And I have this book saying Taekwondo, the, national mar the, the uh, Korean martial art of self-defense. Mm -hmm. How can I go abroad as president of the Taekwondo Association? I can't hand out the book with Taekwondo and my business card with Taesudo. So he was very forceful. He's very determined. He's a very driven person. And in whatever lobbying he did to form coalitions, he won by one vote. And that's how it became Taekwondo. And uh, so now uh, he's out of uh, the KTA and is in the ITF. And now he says, oh, I have to make the definitive book on Taekwondo. And that's what it was called. It was even advertised in the magazines, the Bible of Taekwondo. I have old magazines that actually have that advertisement in it. So uh, the book was 500 and something pages. And uh, up until that time, it was unprecedented, yep. superseded by the encyclopedia. But yep. now it's got 24 patterns in it. Why? Well, he had time to finalize the layout for the actual printing of the book so it could be published with 24 patterns. So it wasn't like the original 20. That's they just got in the book. So that's the that's the chronological order of documenting. But before the 72 book comes out, you have uh the official ITF training film that has all 24 patterns in it. And yeah. that that I date around 1968 because your mentor, Grandmaster Hio Cho, was a student of Grandmaster Cho Seng Ming, 
who eventually went to Brazil as the pioneer there. He was the instructor. And these are the ones that are doing this film. And it has all 24 patterns. So we know uh, he was there. And what is he doing? Him, along with Kim Young-soo, who who was the chief instructor after he left, um, they're all all working out these movements for the book and whatnot. So there was so much feedback. And we do know that Tongil was changed. The way the directions are in the 65 book are, are different from the directions in the 72 book. And, uh, you know, patterns were, were um, not revised, refined. Movements were refined. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like things weren't taken out. Uh, like there was no like in you go people think you punch in the beginning it was with tension no that's the way people were taught but that was never the way it was officially they never said punch with tension it was just you're just you know extending that hand out there and general Choi would uh refine it later on to just you know placing up like this so maybe you went like that in the old days there was a big controversy about kiop there were never any kiops in General Trace patterns. Never. I cannot find any documentation to it. Now, there are in June Rhee's books and Heo Cho's books. Yep, yep. But that was something that people added in. Yep. General Trey never had them in and never took them out. So maybe his instructors added it at the end. When I was taught the patterns, we, we finished, we did them very karate-like, and we finished them with a very strong Kia. Yep. And I remember being at a seminar with the general. And he called up somebody, and you could tell by the uniform he was not an ITF guy. Yeah. So he called him up to do Chunji. And the guy did Chunji. It wasn't bad. He was doing it the way his teacher was taught, but obviously not, not to General Choi's standard. Yeah. So he, he proceeds to pick him apart. Before he picks him apart, he said to him, why are you screaming end? And the guy said, oh, that's a kiap. He said, why screaming? Oh, it's for the killer blow. So General Choi, without missing a beat, said, why you wait 19 movements, killer blow? You're not tired? Why not kill a blow first movement? And that was General Choi's theory. Concept comes from karate, right? One blow, yeah. right? We, we, we're going to take the appropriate attacking tool, the correct attacking tool, and hit it, hit the appropriate vital spot on the body to do most damage. Like I wouldn't punch you in the eye. I would poke you in the eye. Cause if I use my finger to poke you, I could damage the eye. If I punch, maybe I can, I'm not really going to get at the eye. I, I could do severe damage to the eye socket and the bones up there. No question. But specifically, I want to attack your eye. I want to poke with my fingers at your eye. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's just, it, it's the same thing with other areas of the body, you look and say, scientifically, what makes sense to attack that way? What angle am I at with the facing, all that stuff. So uh, to me, uh, the answer is General Trey created the patterns. He had them reduced to a manuscript. Even in Malaysia, Lieutenant Wu J. Lim and Sergeant Kim Bakman, uh, these retired military guys had the manuscript, were working from it. and. Uh, uh, Grandmaster Kim has a really, really sharp mind because uh, he would say when General Choi was back in Korea working on something in the book, he would call uh, Kim Bakman and Kim Bakman wouldn't even need the page. He had this stuff in his head. So, you know, he's a very, very sharp guy. Uh, so, you know, he was intimately involved. So now who created these patterns? General Choi, General Choi and Kim Bakman or Kim Bakman? 
to me, General Trey created them, and King Bookman had influence. And he seems to have a great deal more influence of some other people. But it is a misnomer. It's a falsehood. Uh, 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 ITF detractors, especially from the South Korean side, uh, label General Trey is not a martial artist, he's a political man. No, Kim Won Young was not a martial artist. He was a political man. General Trey was a martial artist in every sense of the word. He might not have had the physical stature and like a Riki Har or a Park Jung Su, uh, uh, Nam Tae Hee, people called the Superman, Am Young Gu, Lee Chung Woo from the WGF side, these were Superman. And they, you know, they were, I, I interviewed Lee Chung Woo and I met, uh, Am Young Gu met him in his office when he was Kuki Wan president. We talked about, uh, m you know, many, many things, but you know, uh, uh, their following tries to make General Trey look like he was not a martial artist. That the, the martial artists he used were the martial artists and they did it and generates just put it in book form and he became famous. That's, it's not true. We know it's not true because the supermen that General Trey used all say it wasn't true. Yeah. C.K. Choi says, without a doubt, General Trey is the founder of Taekwondo. Without a doubt. He says, he's the founder of Taekwondo. There's yeah. no question. He was there, you know? And now you fast forward, you get a guy like Park Chung Tae. Park Chung Tae was instrumental when they created Ju Che. But Ju Che was General Choi's vision. And Ju Che is, incorporates many, many movements from Kodang. Kodang was taken out, replaced by Ju Che. Yep. So General Choi added these very, very difficult movements and kept a lot of Kodang in there. Mm -hmm. So even that's a slight against uh, Kim Il-sung yep. and North Korea. Uh, and we know this because General Choi did this before. UNAM is taken out, and many, many, many of the moves from UNAM are incorporated in Chungjang. So, Ju uh, Che, uh, there's two reasons why Kodang was problematic. Uh, well, Kodang was problematic because Kodang Choman Sik was the actual leader, the de facto first leader of North Korea. Yep. And uh, he didn't last long. He was replaced. There was like a commission they put in, and then he was moved off the commission when the Soviets knew that Kim Il Sung was their go-to guy. Uh, <coughs> he moved to the forefront and became the uh, de facto leader under the Soviet influence. So we know Kodang uh, was killed when the UN forces came north, and they uh, he was a political prisoner. They wanted to uh, uh, execute all these political prisoners because they knew they had to abandon Pyongyang and head to the very, very north of the country to hide in the mountainous region. They didn't want an infrastructure to be put in place to, to, to uh, replace their structure. Yep. And the dissidents that were held would be that, that team to be the apparatus to take over. So they... Uh, executed those people. We know that from the study of history. Uh, a colleague of mine that I've met uh, through the National Committee in North Korea and attended many of his lectures, his doctoral dissertation was going through the Soviet files in the Russian language that were released and declassified after the Soviet Union collapsed. And his specialty, he works for the Woodrow Wilson Institute, his specialty is the Soviet files with respect 
to North Korea. So this is why uh, uh, we're able to gain so much insight to what's going on behind the scenes. But uh, General Choi, uh, uh, the, the way the story goes, General Choi, uh, 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 Kim Il-sung wanted a pattern named after him. And General Choi lied to him. Oh, we can't make a pattern after a living person. All of our uh, figures are all dead, but he lied. Why? He already did it with Unam. Yeah. And then you remove that. Nobody knew about that. So uh, that's where they came up with making a new pattern, Juche. So the Juche is this ideology from North Korea where uh, man is in destiny of their, in control of their own destiny. Like their, their future is in their hands. Yeah. And uh, uh, that's the sanitized version for Taekwondo's purposes. Mm-hmm. It's actually much deeper in the North Korean ideology, the state ideology, but the pattern definition, that's it in a nutshell. It's like saying the power of the individual, like you wanna do something, you can do it, go do it. Your future's in your hands, you control your destiny. So uh, it's an uplifting martial arts theme, but it has, it pales in comparison to what the ideology is in North. Uh, You know, basically it's like self-reliance. We're sealed off from the world. We don't need anybody, we don't have to, involve ourselves in the international community and so on. So, uh, so Juche was put in and now General Che wanted to keep the theme of 24. So Kodan being the junior Patriot, he's the youngest one, the yeah. junior Patriot is taken out, which makes sense. And General yeah. Che told me this when I asked him. And yeah. also, where is Kodan? It's a second degree level. So what is a first degree black belt? You learn the basics. What is a secondary black belt? A secondary black belt who's is a black belt who's got the basics down pat that's trained for an additional period of time to now move to this level. Yep. And in theory, you're still young and energetic and talented. Your physical uh, capabilities have not started to decline. So uh, this is the optimum point in your training to put in the most difficult pattern. Yep. So that's how that you know came about. So part, for, for many, many years, people thought Park Chung-tae uh, created this pattern. And yes, Park Chung-tae was General Trey's right-hand man, had significant input. Mm-hmm. And But it, it, it what, when you speak to the North Koreans that were there when this pattern was being, because they trained Kodong early yeah. on. Yeah. They were training Kodong. In the, so it wasn't like Kodong was so, had to be taken out. It was more, oh, we're going to support the government and just like General Cho was getting support from the government in South Korea, you know, it's a trade-off and uh, a controversial trade-off. I get it. So some people still use Kodang. I have taught it to my students. I never learned it, but I learned it on my own afterwards. I've taught it to some of my students. And obviously, I never learned Unam. Uh, never was taught Unam, but I learned it and have taught that to some of my students. And I think it's great. I'll go do a seminar, a uh, seminar on history, and then... Uh, you know, in, in the middle of the seminars, tell everybody up to get up on the floor, let's do UNAM, and we'll recreate it because, and we'll go back into time. I'll assign somebody to be General Choi. Sit down here, call out the instructions, you know, and we'll start off by saluting, no yeah. bowing, you know, because that's what they did. So, you know, these are wonderful things you can incorporate into even boring lectures where somebody's just going on and on, you know? So, yeah, but uh, but that's really uh, so I like to credit people that we know played a hand in assisting yeah. and uh, how much the assistant and feedback and input was, is going to vary. But the, the, the person, the creative genius that 
designed these patterns is general trade. There's no question. And yeah. different pioneers, different students and followers at various points in time uh, gave back, uh, gave feedback and, you know, uh, was incorporated as general choice software. It was like, it was him that produced the final product. So the process along the way, I think is very important to uh, identify and credit. And, you know, really that's my, my fault because when I was working with Master Stuart Anzo, a really great guy from the UK, yep. uh, on his book uh, from uh, Creation to Unification, uh, we identified some of those people. But that somehow they forget the disclaimer that these were people we've identified that helped. Yep. Uh, it doesn't mean they created them. It doesn't mean there weren't others. Yep. See, I'm all about adding, but don't don't take that book, which is great. And say, because George Vitale listed these people that no, because I say in there, this is incomplete and we need to learn more and we need to credit more people. Yep. So that's a big problem. Uh, but uh, uh, it, it's something that should, you know, uh, that book is great because it expands on all these pattern histories, yep. but General Choi created the patterns and various of his followers and students had uh, differing levels of, of feedback and input and had, and had uh, you know, various levels of influence. Dr. Vitali, we are, we're just shy of three hours. Sure, okay. Which is, which is unbelievable. <laughs> and, and, you know, in many ways, I think, in many ways, I think we've just uh, scratched the surface. Sure. Uh, please, please, uh, I would love to have you back on. No problem, anytime. Mm -hmm. sometime in, in, the, in the near future but uh, I've said a couple of times on the podcast so far that I've had I've been like a kid in a sweet shop just mm -hmm. uh, so, so excited by who it is I'm yeah. speaking to but honestly Dr Vitale I cannot thank you enough for coming on and sharing just the knowledge that you have sir just seems mm -hmm. to be incomparable I, I really I really can't thank you for coming on and, and sharing no, you, you, don't, you don't have to thank me it's really me that has to thank you because you give me an opportunity to, to get uh, the knowledge that was so gracefully shared with me to be shared with others. So I salute your efforts. Um, uh, I'm happy to come back and talk about any aspect that I can. Um, you know, not a problem. You know, as you know, I've been traveling since November. Yes. I should be back home somewhere in April. Uh, but uh, I will get busy Come, come this weekend, I'll get busy again, yep. but I'm always available. And as I say, since I'm traveling, I don't really have any of my books and notes to uh, refer to, but most of the stuff is cemented into my little pea brain. I, I guess that's why I have no hair because it just <laughs> burns off with all that the uh, brain power going all the time. Wonderful. But yeah, it's, it's not a problem. I'm glad to uh, speak freely and openly about anything that I, I can possibly speak about. When there are when there are items that would be inappropriate for me to comment on in a in a public setting like this, I would uh, you know re respectively decline and state the reasons why. And I'm also I am also not afraid, not embarrassed to say I don't know the answer. Well, we don't know. We're still digging for that. And uh, the way I always like to uh, to sign off and end these things is not only by thanking you and the host and whatever of uh, listeners that will listen in, but I'm going to ask both yourself and any listeners, if there's anything I got wrong, uh, 
that needs to be adjusted, that needs to be corrected, needs to be fine-tuned, please let me know because my sole focus, my only goal is to present more truth of Taekwondo's history. And in doing that, I hope to credit people who have been ignored. And along that line, I want to rehabilitate General Choi's image. He really is a great Korean patriot, a true Korean national. He loved his uh, country. He wanted to see it uh, united again, peacefully, under democratic rule. And uh, uh, he used his Taekwondo to promote that, that honorable goal. So they're, they're, uh, I'm, I'm always wanting to gain additional information. So it's not only I might have missed something, might've gotten something wrong or not relayed it correctly or it needs fine tuning, but there's things I don't know. And, yeah. and we need to get these things out there. We need to, uh, to get them uh, tested, right? You know, we need to get, uh, these ideas have to be floated and people have to push back on them. So we fine tune them. And because so much of what we have come to know is misleading at best. And, and then we make conjecture from this misleading information. Sometimes the misleading information is done on purpose. Yeah. So we need to eradicate that. You know, uh, uh, Kim Un-young was not a bad man. Uh, I know he ran into problems legally in Korea, but, uh, you know, uh, without him, there's no Taekwondo in the Olympics. That's, that's just true. I, it's just, it's so self-evident if we take the time to examine that. And without General Choi, there's no Taekwondo. Doesn't mean there wouldn't be a Korean martial art that's popular around the world. And it doesn't mean the Koreans wouldn't have put a sport version of that in the Olympics. Yeah. But it wouldn't be Taekwondo. So without Taekwondo, without General Choi, there's no Taekwondo. Uh, he's the principal founder of the original uh, uh, Taekwondo. And uh, I'm very happy that today people in Korea are realizing that his influence was profound and they're coming to appreciate how much he loved his country. The Korean pioneers, some never knew General Choi, when they hear that he gave up his own family for Taekwondo, they say, wow, this man really lived for Taekwondo because there's not many people that would do that. And some people would badmouth him for doing that. But, and I can understand that if I was in the family, but that is a testament of how, how much he loved Taekwondo. He would live, breathe and sleep Taekwondo. Everything was Taekwondo to him. So uh, I'm very happy that South Korea has recognized him. They've uh, uh, credit him in, in the Taekwondo Wan, and uh, he's openly talked about. So it's all because of efforts for people like you, because this information, like I say, we uncover it. If it doesn't get out there, it doesn't have impact. So I'm very willing to do, and I implore any of the listeners to this podcast to please uh, give yourself some feedback and get it to me, uh, because uh, these things have to be have to be uh, uh, put into the big picture.